This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Trish. I'm Tony. And we're going to talk about A Night in Lonesome October by Roger Zelazny. Uh, you guys were not familiar, I think, when I talked about this f- before, uh, when we talked about putting this on. The title is from a line in Yulelumi, a poem by, uh, Mr. Poe, Mr. Edgar Allan Poe. I have it up. I could read the, uh, first five lines, which Why includes don't you? that. Why don't you do the whole thing? It's, it's not <laughs> it's that long. It's, long. it's, no, it's like two minutes, three minutes maximum. It's not the very skies. related. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Go for it. Go for it. The skies, they were ashen and sober. The leaves, they were crisped and sere. The leaves, they were withering and sere. It was night in the lonesome October of my most immemorial year. It was hard by the dim lake of Auber in the misty mid-region of Weir. It was down by the dank tarn of Auber in the ghoul-haunted woodland. Of weird. Hence, here once. That sounded nice. An alley titanic of a cypress. I love the word tarn. I roamed with my soul. Of a cypress with psyche my soul. These were the days when my heart was volcanic. And the scoriac rivers that roll. As the lavas that restlessly roll. Their sulfurous currents down Yannick. In the ultimate climbs of the pole. That groan as they roll down Mount Yannick in the realms of the boreal pole. Our talk had been, our talk seri- had oh. been serious and sober. <laughs> Keep going. But our thoughts, they were palsied and sere. Our memories were treacherous and sere. For we knew not the month was October, and we marked not the night of the year. Ah, night of all nights in the year. We noted not the dim lake of Ober, though once we had journeyed down here. We remembered not the dank tarn of Ober, nor the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. Keep going, keep going. And now, as the night was senescent, and star dials pointed to morn, as the star dials hinted of morn, at the end of our path a liquescent and nebulous luster was born, out of which a miraculous crescent arose with a duplicate horn. Astarte's bediamonded crescent, distinct with its duplicate horn. And I said, she is warmer than Diane. She rolls through an ether of sighs. She revels in a region of sighs. She has seen that the tears are not dry on these cheeks where the worm never dies, and has come past the stars of the lion to point us the path to the skies, to the lethean peace of the skies. Come up, in despite of the lion, to shine on us with her bright eyes. Come up through the lair of the lion, with love in her luminous eyes. But Psyche, but Psyche uplifting her finger, said, Sadly, this star I mistrust. Her pallor I strangely mistrust. Oh, hasten, oh, let us not linger. Oh, fly, let us fly. For we must. In terror she spoke, letting sink her wings till they trailed in the dust. In agony, sobbed, 
letting sink her plumes till they trailed in the dust. Till they sorrowfully trailed in the dust. I replied, this is nothing but dreaming. Let us on by the tremulous light. Let us bathe in this crystalline light. Its sibilic splendor is beaming with hope and in beauty tonight. See, it flickers up the sky through the night. Ah, we may safely trust to its gleaming and be sure it will lead us aright. We safely may trust to a gleaming that cannot but lead but guide us aright, since it flickers up to heaven through the night. Thus, I pacified Psyche and kissed her, and tempted her out of her gloom, and conquered her scruples and gloom, and we passed to the end of the vista, but were stopped by the door of a tomb, by the door of a legended tomb. And I said, What is written, sweet sister, on the door of this legended tomb? She replied, Ulalum, Ulalum, tis the vault of thy lost Ulalum. Then my heart, it grew ashen and sober, as the leaves that were crisped and sear, as the leaves that were withering and sear. And I cried, it was surely October, on this very night of last year, that I journeyed, I journeyed down here, that I brought a dread burden down here, on this of all nights in the year. Oh, what demon has tempted me here? Well, I know now this dim lake of Ober, this misty mid-region of Ober. Well, I know now this dark, this dank tarn of Ober in the goal-haunted woodland of Weir. Said we then, the two then, Ah, can it have been that the woodlandish ghouls, the pitiful, the merciful ghouls, to bar our, up our way and to ban it from the secret that lies in these wolds, from the thing that lies hidden in these wolds, had drawn up the specter of a planet from the limbo of lunary souls, this sinfully scintillant planet, from the hell of the planetary souls? Yes, is the answer. Yes, great, great <laughs> poem, right? Very rich, hard to understand. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very it's, uh, sonorous and resonant and uh, resonant and self-referencing with all the repetitions that just uh, build mm-hmm. the uh, the emotions. And even like the words that he's making up, like Ober, that's not a real place, right? Uh, but it's a color. It gives you something. And this is, this is one of those many poems that he, he wrote to somebody and then he's like, it would be in like a magazine he published, right? And then he'd point to it and that's it, that's for you. <laughs> Some lady he's after, right? Um, so it's, it's like the title is two blank blank, right? And, or blank blank blank. And that's the three names of the lady, right? And then the title is Ulalumi or Ulalum. Um, so not really super related to the, uh, plot of this novel, is it? It's ghoulish, I guess, but, uh, other no. than that, it's not super related. This is much it more. It's probably a, just a point of uh, inspiration. Yeah, it's just yeah. a great po- piece of poetry to steal. Uh, for I mean, this is what you do: you take a, a great line of poetry and make it your book name, right? Well, uh, the entire book is full of references, and part indeed. of the fun is figuring out what he's refer- what he's using, or lifting, or referring to, or paying homage to. Yes, 
Well, it's it's very clear uh, this is all homage, and and he's not he didn't steal the plot. I was uh, yesterday. I came across a story of a of a one of the my grandmother's books was um uh I looked it up and I found a copy that had already been scanned, which is good. Um, but I I was looking up the book to see what the plot was, and I found out that there was this Indian author author from India who had stolen the plot of a book that was published in the 50s and reset it in India and just changed all the names and the religion is no longer Anglican, it's Hindu. Um, and uh, it, it got reviewed by the same newspapers, you know, like 38 years later or whatever it was. Uh, this book came out in the 90s. And, uh, and people were like instantly started noticing who had read the book before this is very familiar and then the reviewers are saying this is like it shows like we're all the same all over the planet <laughs> even though he's like no it was just a lift from like uh, the entire book was stolen except for the name changes like i compared chapter eight and it's like every word was the same except for the character name right even though it was set in india the author ended up uh killing herself um Probably not because it had been found out, but because she knew it would be found out, which is crazy. Uh, she had a 10-book deal, and her first book was a big hit. Her second book was published in India and then was being published in Canada and the United States. And uh, it was like, this is going to happen. So she wrote a note to her her uh, mentor. And it's basically, it sounds like a suicide note. And then very shortly thereafter, she was dead. Um, very young person to have died from natural causes. So it's assumed that it was suicide, even though uh, that's not the official cause of death. And uh, this is the opposite of that. This is, I'm not allowed to use the name Sherlock Holmes because I'll get in trouble. So it's the great detective, right? But um, I also want to point. Well, it's, I, think, I, think, I think it's more than that, though, Jesse. Um, okay. Because, because he was into the public domain, yeah, huh? Right. Yeah. Well, I think he. I think Summer Sherlock Holmes was at that point. Yeah, but you're not allowed he, to use the he, character he, name at that time. Now you can. There was are, a lawsuit you, since then. But I mean, he does that for every reference in this book, even ones which are in the public domain. So I'm not. I'm not quite. So I, 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 I don't think it's a matter of he would, would have used Sherlock Holmes even if he could. It's just that he just – he wanted to file the serial numbers off of everything. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I, I don't know whether that was forced style from from not using Sherlock Holmes's name <clears throat> uh, and he just kept a consistent style with every, every other character. Uh, but I think maybe it's more likely that he was just making, making them archetypes. Um, yeah. That, you know, he did not want to specify. Uh, yeah, some of them aren't even really based on specific characters. Yeah, the, well, the Vicar, for example. The Vicar is a very much an amorphous, evil evil priest sort of character who's actually worshipping. Well, yeah, uh, archetype, for sure, not a literary gods. character. Um, but, right. See, l- but let's talk about the werewolf for a minute. Because the werewolf is named. Well, the wolfman, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's the exception. And the reason he's named is because... He's not, he's not from a literary source. He's from the movie, The Wolfman. That's the character name from the movie, Larry Talbot. Yeah, right? from the um, um, which is the definitive version of 
of what we think of werewolves as being, right? Um, there isn't the name a the literary source. I don't know the name of the actor, but the literary well, source. Well, he was this. Go for it. Oh well, he was the son of um, a famous silent actor. Are you talking about Lon Chaney Jr.? Yeah, Lon Chaney Jr. played Larry Talbot, didn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And in Benicio the, del Toro yeah. in the reboot from recently. He was also named Larry Talbot. In that yeah, version. it's the same character. I never, I never saw that one. Actually, I don't remember. It's if quite I have. good, actually. I, I like okay. werewolf movies, and uh, I, mean, I, I like Javier Bardem too. So. Yeah. Um, so Did you yeah, Peter watched Silver Bullet. Uh, oh, that's I was asking Jesse Stephen if King. Ever read or watched uh, Stephen, Stephen King's King. Silver Bullet? Uh, I yeah. can't remember if I've seen it, but I've not read it. Uh, for for better or worse, the Silver Bullet's one of the first movies I ever saw in my life. But we'll get into that later. Okay. Um. So why is <laughs> why is Sherlock Holmes in this at all? Because he he is not a monster. Well, I mean, some of the other characters are seemingly regular humans that just got involved, like the vicar. Uh, he's a cultist, right? He's a cultist. Right, yeah, but, but, but he's not but, like but, a supernatural being. But, no, but, but he's the... is not. He's he's not an opener or a closer. He's a neutral party. So, so he just happened to get wrapped up into the events here. It's set in yeah, England. Yeah, if you're setting a book in England in 1887 that has a great mystery in it, it would seem really a lost opportunity not to include uh, Sherlock Holmes. And I say 1887 because <clears throat> there was actually a full moon on October 31 that year. Mm-hmm. Aha! We have a wow. date! Well uh, there's, there's an article by... Uh, uh, Dr. Christopher S. Kovacs in the Lovecraft e-zine. Uh, I'll send the link to chat um, that talks a lot about uh, the book and uh, claims uh, references for most of the characters. So it's a good article. Thank you, Trish. Nice. All right. So um, I want to make a claim. Let's see if you guys agree. I have a feeling you won't. <laughs> Um, oh boy! That this is not a novel, but rather it is a novelty book. There is this other sort of phenomenon out there where you've got, uh, you know, like you get like a book. It'll say uh, the wisdom of, uh, uh, I don't know, George Bush or something, right? <laughs> and then you open the book up, and it's blank. Right. It's every page is blank. (laughs) (laughs) This is sort of the sort of gift you give to someone at Christmas as a joke because they're an adult. Um, and obviously this is not that because it has illustrations in the original paper book and it's got an audiobook with narration by the author. So it's not a blank book, but this idea that it's a novelty book, I think, uh, fits my experience of novelty books. I enjoy novelty books, but I don't think of them as novels, even when they're novel length, like this one is. Um, did you guys experience this as a novel? Because it's it's a bit different from normal novels, right? I mean, I did, but, you know, I, I, I'm always loose with my definitions of things. I always like stuff that tends to stretch the boundaries of what people normally consider a novel. Um, I don't know. I never, the, I it never crossed my mind to think of it as anything other than a novel. Personally, uh, when me I got neither. To... I mean, look at Bram Stoker's Dracula. Every 
entry in that is dated, whether it's a diary or letter or telegram yeah. or newspaper experimental. clipping. It's completely But visual, you yeah. have to think of that as a novel. Oh, it's a novel, even but it's, it was based on the stage play. It's a novel, but it's it's um it's experiment. It was experimental for the time period, and as you know, Call of Cthulhu, the story is the same format, right? So it got picked up, and epistolary books are very popular. Um, it, mm-hmm. That was one of the books that made it super popular, and it's not even I- completely epistolary because there's cuttings and stuff in there it's a collage book in a certain sense but it's also a novel the plot of that works as a novel plot when i got to the end of this i was like i see what you did here and i I know that some people have noticed uh, the ending uh which we should maybe mention um but uh i think that they didn't notice the complete ending they only noticed the particular ending uh, so, uh, just as an example of a, of a novelty book other than the one I made up about the wisdom of George Bush, which probably exists. There's, I've seen books like this. I just couldn't think of a particular one. The one that I thought of um, is a children's book from 2011 that made a big splash. Um, the audiobook was narrated by uh, Samuel Jackson. Um, it's quite short. It's like 32 pages. It's called Go the, F- Go to F- Go the Fuck to Sleep. <laughs> I guess you knew what I was going to yes. say yeah. before. That came yeah. out of Books a Million when I was working there. We sold a lot Huge, of Huge, right? So the reason that book is super popular is it's a great book to give from one adult to another. But it's set up as a children's book, right? Um, this is kind of what we've got here. We've got a a novel told from the dog's point of view, which is silly um, and fun. And I've read other books like this. There's a Elmore Leonard book called uh, uh, Coyote in the House, and it's like a it's a oh that's a great book. I really enjoyed that book. I, I read I, it five yeah. years ago. It's one of his last good books. He had a lot of bad books in his later career, but that one it takes his style, which is very Elmore Leonard, and he turns it into like a hey I'm a fox I'm cool <laughs> or whatever I'm a coyote I'm cool and uh it's like a cool book right like the book be cool for example mm-hmm. um but it's not a it, it's not in his normal novel mode and I, I yeah think but you wouldn't call it not a novel uh well I wouldn't call it novel I'm not novel. saying that technically this is not a novel what I'm <laughs> saying is it's a it's a sort of the silly way to think about it when he's doing something else. Um, and, uh, that's why I was, when we were looking at the cover, I wanted to confirm that everybody agrees in the bottom right hand corner under Dracula's hand is our narrator, Snuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he right. looks. That's what I had assumed anyway. Yeah. In the, in the book, he's described as a cur and a hound by other animals. Um, but we don't, I, I don't think we ever get the, his breed, what kind of dog he is. A hound is certainly a kind of dog, but it's also just a generic word for it. Um, well, but I guess I assumed he was a mutt of some yeah, sort. Yeah, me too. Uh, mongo, I'm, not, I'm not even sure what he really is because he mentions at one point uh, be, almost like saying he was like being ma- he was made what it was. It almost sounds like that. It was yeah. like he was um, conjured. Okay, so, yeah, conjured. But, uh, so, like, to, to, so I'm going to because I'm pretty sure my. Uh, my player did this. So in one of my role-playing campaigns, one of my characters had a dog – has a dog companion who really is a demon but mostly looks like a newfie. 
but is really a demon in disguise to mm-hmm. protect this person. So I'm pretty sure that the player, that the, the player was modeling, modeling, uh, Hugo, that's the name of the dog on snuff in that regard. It's like more than just a regular dog. So I'm thinking maybe snuff is kind of like that sort of like something else modeled, put into a de- into a dog's form rather than a uplifted dog. Like some of these animals around here, but, um, are clearly changed or, or uplifted from themselves by magical ritual or the like. Yeah, the line is, I like being a watchdog better than what I was before he summoned me and gave me this job. Thank you. So the word summon makes us think that he's, he's been conjured. A demon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in that article I was talking, I was talking about, uh, also mentions the horse black in, uh, Zelazny's Dilvish stories that definitely was a demon that was put to use. Yeah, uh, we, we, we're never resolved anywhere in this book. Suddenly we know he's a demon or he, yeah, or his some... previous life. Uh, but I, I, I actually want to focus more on like when you're visualizing this character, right? Um, I didn't imagine it was a tiny dog, like a little chihuahua size. I imagined medium to large size. Yeah. Um, and, and now I want to ask you, was it a short haired dog or a long haired dog? In your mind. I imagine something kind of in between myself. All right. Paul? Medium haired dog. Medium Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was thinking like a big, large, grayish dog. Okay. Trish? Trish is wearing. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know that I, I mean, I, I basically, when I first saw the, uh, the Dan Wilson illustrations, the interior illustrations, Basically, make him look like a bloodhound. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which um, would be a funny illusion, bloodhound. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, his mm, name is yeah. a good name, right? Snuff has the sense of sniffing and also the sense of to kill, right? To put out. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is good. I, I, I will say, I did feel a little conflicted, kind of rooting for Snuff throughout the book just because of the fact that his master is a serial killer. His master is Jack the Ripper. It's it's interesting that they have Jack the Ripper seemingly working more for humanity's greater good in this general situation that the book develops. <laughs> but, or is he? Or is he just time, blocking out? Wonder, yeah, is he just ahead. is he just blocking out his competition? <laughs> well, 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 I mean, well. The, the, the book kind of suggests that he's under a curse, so you could interpret his. I mean, I mean, the woman he attacks in this book he only gets addressed from but i think he really is jack the ripper and that he's under a curse to hurt people and maybe being being a closer is his way of trying to counteract his own curse in a way he's Mm. he's stuck with this he's stuck with this magical knife that clearly makes him into a real monster because we see that especially we see in the vivisectionist scene he it changes him and i think that's part of his curse it's also suggested he's actually Cain. The original killer, mm-hmm. just 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 going through history, which that, kind of makes that's me th- a good connection. Yeah, which which makes me kind of think of God help me, um, the uh, the <laughs> Dracula the Dracula movie with uh with Hugh Jackman in it because in that movie, um, Van Helsing played by Hugh Jackman is clearly older than he appears and has has some sort of history going back way back in history with Dracula, and and the movie of course it doesn't go anywhere. In, 
any direction well enough, but that kind of makes you think that Jack the Ripper's been around since the beginning of civilization and been under this curse ever since he killed his brother. And mm-hmm. so he does kill people. He, the, the knife is kind of part of that part of his soul. And so almost as in trying to counteract that, he's steadfastly a, a closer every time because, I mean, he's the monster to fight, to quote another Zelazny book, he's the, he's the monster that fights other monsters. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it it's a good theory, and uh, it it he didn't put that much work into it as you just did, but I appreciate <laughs> you did, because um, I I think that this book was not constructed this way. I'm talking about how long the dog's hair is, but I need somebody to read who either Trish or uh, Tony. Would you read the last page uh, or the last uh, little bit of the novel? Or the, sorry, the, the, the no- of the novelty book? Yes, yeah, just the last page or hey. so. <laughs> we'll see if it's a novel or a novelty book, uh, or both. I'm, I'm just curious exactly what your distinction would be because I'm sure I'm sure even the distinction is subjective. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, how far back do you want me to start for the last? Uh, basically, just the last paragraph. Just the last, well, the last paragraph. The very last the, part. Uh, yeah. Okay, you just want me to read the last two lines then? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Jack and Jill went down the hill. Gray and I ran after. Okay, so that I think that's very important for this book, right? Because it's a little joke. Yeah, it's a be- reference yeah. to the nursery rhyme, and right. uh, and it's brings also a lighthearted end to what is tonally a lighthearted book. But when you read, you know, when you think about what's happening here, uh, it, there are some pretty dark parts referred to. Yeah, yeah it's uh, kind of a dark, darkly humored. Yeah. So this is uh, a little button ending for a uh, book about a serial killer being, you know, just off the main character's right arm or right leg, I guess it would be. <laughs> um, right. yeah, so, Dracula, for that matter, Dracula is a serial killer, too. But, but he's, uh, not the, he, he's, he's not the, the closer. He's not the he's viewpoint. He's not a main character. Yeah, yeah. No. But even so. But um, he likes the world the way it is. And that's why the, this evil character is a closer. But we also like all these other characters other than this oh, yeah. Jack are fiction characters. So I can love Dracula. Like I can want to spend all my time thinking of Dracula and people will think <laughs> I'm weird, but they won't think I'm a monster in the same way that if I say, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer is a cool guy and I wear a Jeffrey Dahmer t-shirt or something. Oh, right? Right. <laughs> um, because the thing is, is we are distanced in time from the murders that, quote unquote Jack the Ripper did. We don't really know who did them, if it was the same person. We don't really know anything about this. This is the mystery. So it's it, there's this figure. And I heard uh on the what's it's now called the Strange Studies of Strange Stories podcast. Uh used to be called the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Um they uh uh hppodcraft.com is their old website. Anyways they uh they were upset uh, and i i was thinking oh is paul going to be upset about jack the ripper you know being the you know a viewpoint good guy character in a certain sense in this book uh i know snuff is really the main character but um i'm like what and they addressed it they this like this is a long time ago um it's like you know genghis khan was a bad man right but it's a long time ago so it's okay so they were like hoping that's okay, but, 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 but it's, it's less, it's less 
immediately pertinent than say rooting for Jeffrey Dahmer, the Unabomber, or anybody like that. Yeah, yeah, and also right. none, none of none of the the relatives of Jack the Ripper's victims are going to be probably live live long enough to read this book. Um, no, so. not their descendants. If they were all young women who were murdered before their children, we don't know. But certainly, certainly, there, you know, there, there's been much about this character. So they were worried, and they were hoping that it was going to turn out to be uh, uh, the other Jack from England, who was also a, like a Spring Hill Jack. You mean Spring Hill Jack? Yeah. Um, also, kind of a monster is character. Although I don't believe there was any murders. He no, did, no, he, he did assault no, he women, a, but he didn't. Uh, he was just, he was just cited, wasn't he? Uh, well, no, like w- women claim to have been assaulted by him. Um, oh, gosh. But the thing is, Spring Hill Jack, yeah, and Spring Hill Jack's story is way less tight as a narrative uh, of you know possibly a particular person was involved, whereas there were there was a serial killer. It seems in London who was killing prostitutes, right? This, that is not the case with Spring Hill Jack. Spring Hill Jack is more of a folklore figure like Robin Hood. Yeah. I had thought he was just a legend. He's not, he's not because there's newspaper reports and those take off and he becomes very, very popular. It's, it's hard to disentangle all the, because he, he was a pulp figure as or pre pulp figure. He was in the pennies, penny magazines. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's, yeah. And he starts off Mm -hmm. as a villain and becomes a hero in kind of what we see happen to, uh, Jack the Ripper, or at least a, a figure like professor Moriarty, right? Nobody gets upset about him (laughs) because he's fictional, (laughs) But uh, when we read time after time or watch the movie or whatever, um, and Jack the Ripper's uh, t- time traveling or we Wolf in the Fold, Star Trek, right? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. this is fun. We, we, we know that Jack. reference, right? Yeah, Red Jack. Yep. Red well, Jack! Red Jack! Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so, time after time is a good movie. Oh, great movie. I actually have, a theory, I actually have another theory about the Jack character. Okay. Um. Well, it's just like you were saying, Jack the Ripper has been used in so much fiction now. I'm wondering if this is not supposed to be the historical Jack the Ripper, but the fictionalized Jack the Ripper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this book's meta enough. I yeah. can see them doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I'm. Uh, here's my theory. Here's my theory. The mat. The length of the dog's hair matters a lot, and the reason is Why? this is a Shaggy Dog story. <laughs> it was the whole point is to give us a long joke where at the end the button ending is silly which is and Jill came to <laughs> Jack and Jill went down the hill so she's just saying the whole book is to set those lines yes. no yes. I, I disagree with your thesis why, why, I was going to say it sounds to me Jesse like you're saying that this is a novelty book purely because it ended on a humorous note and I feel like you're being unfair towards humor uh, well, let me ask you this. Why is Jill named Jill? Well, probably just for that joke. That's probably That's true. exactly <laughs> right, sir. And what does the, what does all having all these other monster characters in it, like, like the, uh, Frankenstein just, just because monster. it's a joke doesn't mean it's not a novel. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are exactly, plenty exactly, humorous yeah. novels out I, there. I, I, I mean, sure, it's sure it's ending on a Jack and Jill joke, Jesse, but that doesn't mean the entire book 
that 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 doesn't degrade the entire book down to a novelty book. That that's so you're saying really novel. novelty books aren't as good as novels, is what I'm hearing. But but you seem you seem you you but you seem to say this is not a novel. This is a novelty book. You seem to be making a distinction yourself that this isn't worthy of being a novel. It's only a novelty. Where book. did I say worthy? That's you. <laughs> I'm not saying um, that at all. Jesse, what's the yeah, what's, what's the, the point of your differentiation to begin with, Jesse, or did we keep you from getting to it? <laughs> well, uh, well, I think it's the best way to understand what's going on with this book and why it's so weird. So, for example, like we have Dracula it gets killed, right? And then it turns out, oh, it's not Dracula. Uh, it was it was he just set that up. So we thought Dracula was out of the game, right? Um, it, it, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a very right. strong, right. it's um, very strong um, maneuver yeah, to use yeah. the D term. Uh, yeah, it is. This book, I think, is constructed to be a novelty book in every respect. Number one, the narrator is a dog. That's funny, right? Uh, number two, every month is a chapter. That's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the every end, day of the month. Yeah, every, every sorry, uh, sorry, I keep saying that. Every day of the month is a chapter. The last, uh, line is a joke that was set up from the very beginning of the book, right? The reason Jack is in it is so he can have that ending. The reason Jill is in it is so he can have that ending. And the reason all the characters are in it is because he wants to spend time with these characters. It is not designed like, you know, uh, I have a detective mystery book due out next month. And uh, I read that story in the newspaper. No, the, he was watching a bunch of movies. This is a monster mash, right? This is... Uh, uh, <laughs> and just a way to get a whole bunch of the characters together into a story and have that cover and say, wow, right? <laughs> say everybody's in this. So it is not designed to be a novel of the normal kind. It is designed to be, fulfill this weird role. Like, like, and uh, so I guess, um, like if you say, go the fuck to sleep is not a real book, then you could say it was a degrading thing. And obviously, a book of uh, wisdom of George Bush, and every page is blank, um, is a not well written book because there's nothing other than the cover, right? But he is playing fun in this book, not try- like when you read other stuff by him, it, it feels a lot more weighty. Um, here, I enjoy the ride, but I don't end up thinking, oh, this is a, a substantial book, right? It isn't like a, uh, a journey as much as uh uh playing he's he's playing more like a game than uh and and he pulls it off my and- understanding is that uh, zelazny first thought of this book in the 70s as a uh you know he, he conceived of it as a book with illustrations by gay and wilson and uh that would have made it an early form of graphic novel before, you know, graphic novels were cool. Uh, or, you know, as opposed to oh, just, just a trade illustrated book. collection. But it, right. Uh, um, but, uh, but Gay and Wilson was too busy at the time. And then a couple decades later, Zelazny was going through his notes and said, hey, maybe we could do this now. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call that a graphic novel because, you know, the book that uh, Tony just put out uh, had illustrations and it's it's just a illustrated book right graphic novels okay. basically it's another word for comics except they're long right in a in a package that's not floppy uh yeah I, and actually i think they usually i think a lot of times they call them trade collections now at least if they're 
Well, if you just find up a bunch of issues of a comic, comic. That's, a, that's a trade collection. Yeah. yeah. No, but the, the, there's something yeah, there's designed to be an end. Yeah, no, <laughs> there's a standalone book in though. itself. Yeah, no, no. Graphic novel is now a format where you, like, I just bought one, um, hard hardcover. Um, it's a book series called Reckless. Um, Phillips and uh, Brubaker, I want to say. Maybe it's not Brubaker. Anyways, those are not available as floppies. They come out, you know, 60-page book or something like that. And it's a comic book, but hardcover. It was never in floppy. It's not going to be floppy later. It isn't. It, it, so technically, that is what graphic novel is. But Gahan Wilson was never uh, like a comic book style artist. So even if mm-hmm. he did, uh, right. True. unless he did every page as a... Uh, it would it would not have been a graphic novel. Not that this matters that much, um, uh, but okay. having ha- having him, yeah, you, it, it's not important. But uh, the, having him in drawing these these characters is fun, right? Having those uh, flying body parts is fun. That cover is amazing, right? Because we get to s- mm-hmm. say, oh, he is doing Sherlock Holmes. Um, Sherlock, having Sherlock Holmes in there indicates to us that this is a mystery, right? And it's set up to be a mystery as well, because these animals are trading information, um, having weird conversations. But mostly... My book says the front cover illustration is by James Warhola, W-A-R-H-O-L-A. Everything else by Gayan Wilson. Yeah, yeah. It's, I was uh, about to... Chime in with that too. <laughs> it's a it's a nice cover, and uh, it may it gives us the views of all these characters. There's the dogs and the the, the my and, and I'm gonna and, be on. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I'm I'm gonna be honest though that the the cover is actually one of the reasons I was drawn to the book. Sure. Although <laughs> to a certain extent, it's a little misleading because you don't really spend a lot of time with most of the characters on the cover. No. Uh, well, at least not the hu- the human looking ones. Um, I mean, really, the emphasis is more on the animal characters and seeing everything from their point of view. Right. And there's never a scene in the book where all these people are together, um, but and and having a good social time. Right. But yeah, it's, the closest uh, we get is the graveyard scene. The spirit of the book, I think, with all these myths uh, in mm-hmm. conversation with each other. There's I a- mean, we get the graveyard scene where they're. They were trading body parts. There's a mention of them having dinner one year where they couldn't find the location. So they just had dinner on the day after. But yeah, there's no scene in the book that corresponds to that cover now. Yeah, yeah I thought I think it's still a good book cover. Yeah. It's certainly representative of what you're going to get. Well, the, I, well, actually, I was going to say that's the one thing that I would say might be an issue is maybe some people might be disappointed when they read the book and they don't actually spend as much time with those characters. <laughs> But to me, that's actually kind of part of what's fun and funny about it is seeing it from this, you know, other point of view. <laughs> uh, I'm yep. looking at the cover. I sent uh, mm-hmm. a better yep. Yep. version of it to the group here. Um, oh, but you cut off Bubo. Uh, everybody's no pun, in there. No pun intended. If you if you zoom in, you should be able to see oh, okay, everybody. Fair um, there's a, there's a mirror, uh, in front of the mirror, there is a statue. It's not, unfortunately, it's not, um, uh, Pallas Athena. It's, uh, just a regular female bust. And on top of that is the owl. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, but uh, looking around, we we can start naming characters. Uh, which one is Jack? Yeah, actually, that's the one. That's the thing is, I'm not sure. I'm not sure which one is Jack. So the, on the bottom left, we've got put, Sherlock they put Holmes. The count on the front. They put, they, they put Holmes and Count in front with, with snuff uh, and the with rat. Snuff, which is yeah. And, and Bubo on the cane. Yeah. And Bubo on the cane. We Behind have the him, mad- you see Rastoff, the Mad Monk, and what I assume is Crazy Jewel and Grey Monk, and, and Quick and, Climb at Rastoff's yeah. feet. And there's and, also and, a squirrel and, there. And it's, and the, yeah. And the, uh, and the, oh, yes. Right. Cheater. 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 Cheater's there. And then um, to the left in the wingback chair, I believe that would be Jack, probably. I'm mean, sorry, Larry Talbot. Larry Talbot. Yeah, because he's got little fangs. Yeah. And then I'm thinking that the guy that's holding the glass up in the air is, is, might be, is Jack. Might be Jack. That could talking, be Jack. To, to talking, talking with the uh, with um, the vicar because there's there's his bird. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and his two assistants there, I'm guessing, is that church people with them? Mm. Yep, the yeah. unnamed uh, cultists, mm-hmm. right? We 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 have the good doctor and the and his creation, right? Um, and, and we. Yep. We have a few other random people who do not appear. Um, oh, but, but remember, there's a couple characters. One of them is a servant, it looks like. Yeah, <laughs> but there's a couple characters who get named in the narrative, but we never really see any of them. They're op- they're openers, as I recall. Mm-hmm. And then so the very th- top ha- right-hand corner, there's another bat. Right. Needle. Needle. That's Needle, for sure. Mm-hmm. One assumes. Yep. So, yeah. So, it's got, you've got just about everybody in more facades. That's the idea, right? It, the idea is I'm going to bring all these characters together. Like there was a movie in the 80s that was a monster mash. And, you know, like he didn't bring everybody. The creature from the Black, Black Lagoon's not in here. Um, he didn't bring in the Sp- Spider Woman. The Spider Woman is, is one of the best characters. Like there's a, a mummy. Are we missing a mummy? I kind of thought that one of the creatures that Jack was holding on to might have been the mummy, but they never really, they keep those kind of vague. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I thought like maybe the one in the, the, the creature in the, in the wardrobe, in the wardrobe. Might well, be a mummy. those, those three and that, that opening there's, there's they three, keep them right? Vague, though. Uh, well, and there's one, there's, there's a bunch in the mirrors as well. <laughs> there's one in the steamer trunk, uh, one in the circle. And what was the third one? The wardrobe. The wardrobe. And then there are the things in the in the mirror, which and are the, the slitherers. Right. So all of those, uh, the thing in the steamer trunk, uh, the thing in the circle, the thing in the wardrobe? I don't know. Isn't it? I can't I remember. So. In any case, that is a specific reference to a whole subgenre that I'm very interested in, which is um, stories with thing in the title. Um, <laughs> I think this which might is a, be an illustration of one of those three things, but I'm really not thing sure. In a circle, probably. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully, that will not have destroyed anybody's recording. Looks okay. Um, the uh, yeah, well, hopefully it's good. Um, the uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we got to be careful because I don't want to lose a recording. Um, what I will say is uh, that that was a very common thing you would see in Weird Tales. Is it would be a story mm-hmm. called the thing in the cellar. The thing in the, you know, the, the thing under the stairs, the thing, and it would always be the thing. And that makes you read.
the story to find out what is the thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's making fun of the idea that there's he's got all these evil entities trapped in various places and the dog's job right right or something else that would be the subject of the whole book or movie or whatever but jack just has several of them just for fun (laughs) right and his job is to go around whenever he's not talking to other animals and exchanging information to bark at them and show his teeth and growl Mm -hmm. and snarl and uh that is there for the purposes of it's like a it's like a checklist and that's another reason why i'm saying is like I thought, oh, this is a novel because it's it's long. It's a Zelazny book. And I'm not saying it's not a novel. I'm just saying, like, thinking about it that way, it doesn't fit as well as it does into the idea of a novelty book. It'd be like a we, – we actually see this in films every once in a while. A novelty film would be like um, Clue where they uh, – <laughs> they um or there was another one of my favorite movies actually oh, there you go uh where it's like it's uh, i believe they did battleship recently i didn't see that one but i've seen clue um and clue you know like if you walked into the movie theater never having seen <laughs> played the game clue you'd be like this is a weird movie why is this movie so weird <laughs> right um, and maybe that's how you watched it first. I don't know. Is that how you watched it? I'm not Jonah? sure either. I watched it a lot as a kid, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I did play the board game before I saw the movie. Yeah. Um, it's pr- it was I pretty was just, ubiquitous. Yeah. I just thought the movie was hilarious and I still think it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. It's, it a, is. it's a clever movie. Um, but there, there was another one. There was a, a werewolf movie. I want to say in the seventies where they halfway through the movie, they, uh, uh, not halfway, about three quarters of the way through the movie, uh, they have like a pause on screen and it says, do you know who the werewolf is? <laughs> and now we have games like that where you, you know, one of the characters in the, one of the players in the game is the werewolf. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Or, 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 or yeah, like the, like the Battlestar Galactic game where one of the people is a Cylon. There you right. go. It's Many the same idea, right? Now, the moth yeah. games and stuff. Yeah. And in a movie, you, you know, as opposed to a computer game, you actually have to choose and, you know, you could have multiple endings, multiple things. But, uh, this was a movie that was as a part of its marketing, right? Like the same way a 3D, but as part of its marketing, you, you would like, you get to f- find out, figure out who the werewolf is. And the movie pauses and says, do you know who the werewolf is? And then is, is it Mr. Blank or Mr. Blank? <laughs> or is it this woman? And he says, make your guesses. And then the movie waits a minute and then it continues, right? The, the reason that's in there is not because they didn't have a movie otherwise. It's because it's a marketing gimmick, right? So this book was constructed to be a shaggy dog story. <laughs> that's, uh, uh, no. Because of that button ending, which is set up from the very beginning with the characters being named Jack and Jill. It is not only, uh, it's not a dig on the book, Paul. You're making it sound like novels are the highest form of art and anything underneath it is not. I'm saying that makes this make way more sense than thinking of it as a just a regular Roger Zelazny book. It's not a series book, clearly, but... Well, I think also just the format of all the uh, characters, all of these uh, movie and myth characters meeting up in one book also could be 
I mean, he pays tribute to monster movies in general, um, but also to, you know, some of the wilder stuff of, of the last, uh, you know, when after they had been out for a while, you started having mashups with, you know, Abbott and Costello meet the mummy, yes. Abbey, Abbott and Costello, Costello meet the Invisible Man and all the other Hammer Horror type stuff. Um, meet Frankenstein was the first one, I think. Right, right. But so, it also I had mean, Dracula and the Wolfman in it, too. Yeah. Right, uh, right. Yeah. So that kind of mashup. In 87, is- there's a movie called The Monster Squad. Right. And it has another childhood favorite of mine. Yeah, of course. Right. Because it's the Saturday morning cartoon Drac Pack or whatever. (laughs) There was also one. There was one that people forget about that had Rick Moranis as a teacher at a high school for monsters. <laughs> I don't know this. I think it only I have not heard of that season. one. <laughs> I think it only lasted one season. I can imagine, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it it did have Rick Murray. Mar- it was a very brief period of time where they tried to have hit cartoon series with comedians doing voices. But apparently, the only one that was really successful was somewhat was Camp Candy. They tried to do one with Rick Moranis and with Roseanne, um, but it, it didn't work. <laughs> well, that was the height of Saturday morning cartoons, I guess. Or the uh, yeah, early 90s, or the Nadir, either. <laughs> One or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, Monster Squad had uh, everybody, including uh, Count Dracula, Frankenstein's Monster, Wolfman, uh, Gilman, which is, you know, creatures from Black The Black creature Lagoon, from the Black. Yeah. The Mummy, uh, Van Helsing, uh, Vampire Brides. Right? Everybody was in it. Um, and when you're constructing that movie, you, you aren't like, let's have two teens running around the woods. No, you say, Monster Squad. <laughs> From the very beginning, right? So when he's setting it up, he's got like a wi- uh, the witch, right? Jill is not normally the name we associate with witches. Hester would be a better one or something, right? So he's he's definitely setting it up. He's making that joke. And the thing is, is I can't prove it because I can't find the word shaggy anywhere in the book. I I, I was listening for it as I was. Uh, getting close to the end, I'm like, it's got to be here because it's coming. And I never, I never found it. But if he had put, you know, Mike Shaggy fur. <laughs> um, so Jesse, was yeah, this I, your I, first experience of the book? Oh yeah. I never read it before. Yeah. I, I got the book. I don't know, back in the nineties or something. I get probably pretty soon after it came out. Um, and, uh, uh, then some years later, I got a, uh, an audiobook version with Zelazny narrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just love Zelazny's narration. Yeah. You know, his voice is, is perfect for snuff. It's all dark and low and growly and gruff. Um, I actually, and, yeah, I, but it's I was still very expressive and emotive. Oh, he, he knows how I'm to sorry, read his characters. I was just saying, I agree. I was impressed with his, with his, with his, um, narration. He's yeah, a great narrator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He also did uh, I like at least voice too. at least one of the f- the first Amber book as well. I'm trying oh. to, um, not sure what was it. What's the first Amber book called? Paul oh. should know. Nine Princes in Amber. That's the one. <laughs> Pretty sure he did that. Um, I don't know if he did the. Ra- I think there's ten books in that series. I don't know if he read those, but uh, they're f- pretty hard to get. They were released. Uh, yeah, in the nineties, right. When he was still alive. Um, it's like there's three, um, three dark tower audio books narrated by Stephen King himself. Oh, okay. Well, 
well, four, he narrated the eighth book, Wind Through the Keyhole, but that was more recent. That's available. But the original, the three that they did back in, uh, in, in the eighties and nineties are only available on cassette tape. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm a collector <laughs> of such of things. Um, I'm a big fan of Zelazny's short stories. There's a story called, he did called, uh, Horses of Lear, uh, which is, you know, I was not familiar with the mythology of Ireland, so, um, I didn't know what was going on. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, he just really introduced me to, uh, some very, co- it's, it's like the first time when you're a little kid and you get, uh, you know, any of the classic mythological Cinderella style folklore. Um, it, it, it's, it resonates within and that the reason it resonates within is because it's a universal truth of humanity, right? That's why it's popular around the world. Um, some older person is mean to you, (laughs) but everybody's had that experience because there's always older people, right? Um, there's always a you and there's always a a person. So it's, it's going to resonate. And then, you think about what water is and what it means. And that makes you think, Oh, it's, it's life giving and it can also kill you. You can see into it. It's transparent, but it's also dark, right? How are these contradictions possible? Well, that's where the mythology comes in. So yeah, he, he is a very interesting author who I haven't read enough of because most of the audio that's available is series stuff. And I'm a big, audio guy as you know this is actually the first novel or full book whatever you want to say that i've read by rogers zelazny so far the only other stuff i've uh, i've read a lot about him and mm-hmm. i want to read more of his work especially of his influence on new age science fiction which you know i'm fascinated with mm-hmm. uh, but uh so far the only other th- the only things i've read by him are um a rose for ecclesiastes which i've read twice and i do really like that story That's short um, yeah Mm-hmm. But it's either yeah, a short story or a novelette, maybe. Um, and the only other thing I've really kind of read from him is I heard the Mindwebs version of Damnation Alley. I was going to ask Paul. Was, have I imagine you read that slightly. Paul, have, have you read, read what? Damnation Alley. Yes, I have. Uh, how is it? It's better than the movie by a long way. Yeah, I haven't. I'm. I think I haven't seen the movie because I heard it wasn't very good. It's it, some sort of. Uh, giant vehicle movie, post-apocalyptic giant vehicle movie. But uh, what other it's than it's got a cult following, but I haven't seen it either. Other than Amber, right? The Amber series, um, and uh, the short stories that I've read, which is not that many. I've had Unicorn Variation, not the collection, but story called Unicorn Variation, which is super cool, and sure. uh, the Horses of Lear. Um, I've got the collection with uh, called Unicorn Variations. What is what is his stuff that is not um, series, Paul? Um, Jack of Shadows. Okay, so what's that one about? That's that's about a future Earth which has stopped rotating. One side is always dark. One side. Oh is always, yeah, you've told me about this. Yeah, it's sunlight. Sunlight is the technological side. The dark is the is the magical night side, and. The titular character um, upsets that um, delicate balance in his quest for power and what's really going on in the world. I guess it's I, one of my favorites. I guess I, I, I read you, that collab with uh, Philip K. Dick too, but I we did we did a podcast on that. Yeah, Deus Ari. Yeah, but uh, his career is unfortunately late 
for public domain stuff. So I'm mostly not familiar with his works, even though, you know, he's, he was a big player in the period, right? While he's alive. He does have at least one Hugo winning novel. Um, it's, it's Lord of Light. Oh um, yeah. Oh, Lord maybe two then, because Lord of Light, which is for, also not a series. Right, right. He he also won for a novel that's called This Immortal and Yes, we, and we, Call we, Me Conrad. Yeah, yes, we did that one on this podcast as well. I need to we read did? that one which every one? time I hear that. I we we did it, This Immortal. Did we? Yes, we did. How come I don't every, remember? What's um, it about? I it's 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 about it's about an old guy who's shepherding aliens around a ruined earth is that's i don't think we that, did that paul um and apparently his name is conrad no, i don't know <laughs> pretty sure we um, haven't done that uh, i'm not seeing any evidence of it uh i'll go search the actual page um why why uh, well maybe you read it recently no well which title did you, do you think it was released under paul me. What's that? Only, no, oh, never mind. You can look it up by the writer. Uh, I'm <laughs> just looking up. There's only one we've ever done on the, this podcast is the Deus Irae with Philip K. Dick. So, um, I'm not averse to doing it. I'm just saying uh, we have not done that one. So you must have read it in recently, but not for this podcast. Um, Unless it's been recorded since l- in the last eight months and I've completely blanked it yes it, it has been recorded in the last eight months uh, immortal anatomy of wonder core collection post-apocalyptic science fiction mutation aliens first person point of view tourism pyramids rebellion i've not read this book sorry <laughs> i think you've slipped out of one dimension into another because uh in this dimension this jesse doesn't know what you're talking about i would i would have remembered I swear. It's, oh, it's very highly say, rated. Um, I, I could have sworn we've done it. We've done other ones with Immortal in the title, but not by Zelazny. Well, um, Immortality. If, if you guys do it, let me know. <laughs> well, I, it would depend on there being an audiobook, right? Oh, true. Yeah, I don't there know is, if there is an audiobook for it. There is, is a there Immortal? Is a... Zelazny audiobook. Let's have a look. Yep, seems I to just, be. Whenever I see the original title, I'd always... I always hear it in my head the exact same way every time. It's just someone saying, and call me Conrad. Right. Uh, there's a YouTube uh, audiobook of it. It's five hours, 42 minutes. Serialized as another title. Call me Conrad? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't remember which title it won under, but it got re-released under at least those two titles. Yeah. Um, looks like there's an audiobook available. I don't know if it's a good one. Now, uh, uh, Jesse, I did want to, um, you kept, you keep referring to this as a shaggy dog story. Yeah. And I was looking at like one of the definitions and it says that it says it has, um, typically irreverent incidents and terminated by an anticlimax. Uh, I mean, sorry, typically irrelevant incidents. And I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know this, if there's really a lot of irrelevant incidents in the book. And I, I would argue that the book does not end on an anticlimax at all although the very last line is as yeah. maybe counts just because that's, it's a very obvious joke but that's the very obvious joke that it, but ends it was on. a big climax right before that <laughs> uh yes there was but uh, uh so uh one of the things that i do you think, think it was is, only in service of the joke uh look uh, i think the way this book is constructed is he says i love monsters 
My friend Gahan Wilson loves monsters. If I brought all these monsters together, that'd be cool. And then he says, how could I make a story out of that? Right? That's how it was constructed. It wasn't constructed, I have this plot. <laughs> and I need some characters to fill it. No, he started with the, he started with the reverse of that, right? He said, I like I Frankenstein's suppose. monster. Of course he did. He didn't. Well, I mean, I just, I would just imagine that probably most books are actually started with characters. Wouldn't it be cool if <laughs> to a certain extent? Uh, well, yeah. Characters, characters don't matter to me as much. Uh, like, um, if if we if we read a book ten years ago, um, like Case from Neuromancer, that's a character I remember yeah. the name of, right? Okay, Paul is and Trish are chatting in the chat. Okay, um, <laughs> if if I had read uh, Neuromancer recently, I might think, oh, Molly Millions is a is a cool character. Actually, I don't think that. What I think is, it's a cool book. Right. The book isn't create uh, Molly Millions might be important to Neuromancer, but the book of Neuromancer is more important than Molly Millions. Is you see what I'm saying? Everybody's sure. everybody's well, muted talking in the chat. Okay. Um <laughs> actually I was No, I just uh, want to correct for the listeners out. that I am incorrect. We did not do this immortal on this podcast. I apologize for any confusion this may have <laughs> It's all right. Uh, you know, we get our reading uh, confused sometimes because we do a lot of reading. In any case, <laughs> um, this book was constructed with the idea of having a bunch of characters and then he figured out a plot. And one of the things he did, which he didn't do with a character, really, is make it a Lovecraft book, right? There's a whole sequence uh, where they go to the Dreamlands and it's basically word for word straight out of uh, Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. Um, mm-hmm. and that that's is one of my favorite. I mean, it's book, basically though. a tour of the dreamlands. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, a little mini tour of the dreamlands, a dog and cat are flying over the, uh, over the surface of the, uh, of the dreamlands. And, um, one thing I noted, and I think that it's probably, um, I was wondering if you guys have that part of the book handy, because I believe he's made an error in his narration. Um, he called it the river shy, I think. And it's actually sky, uh, S K. AI, I think is so the river Let's sky. The I'll see if I can Let's find it too. He says it multiple times. Beyond them, the city of Cathuria, uh, Diathlene. It's possible uh, he was doing Sunanu, it all from memory. Valorian, Diathlene. Those are all correct. Uh, okay, so I have it. Diathlene, uh, she mused, where the wide mouthed traders with the strange turbans come for their slaves and gold. Anchoring black galleys whose stench only the smoking of thagweed can kill. Paying with rubies, departing with the powerful oar strokes of invisible rowers. Southwest then to Thrawn of the sloping alabaster walls, unjoined, and its cloud-catching towers, all white and gold. There by the river Shai, or Shay, yeah. wharves He's all changed marble. It. Now, how's that spelled? S-H-A-I. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, in the original, I believe it's S-K-A-I. And I was thinking, did he do all this from memory and he just forgot the name of that particular river? Or was it a mistake in the reading? Like he's just reading his words and it was a typo that was repeated? I don't know. It's strange because everything else is uh, Dilathlene and 
you know, uh, Celepheus and all the other places that are mentioned are 100% correct. Uh, I thought, is that a clue? <laughs> and turns out I don't think it is a clue, unless it was like uh, spelled S-H-E-A or something, right? <laughs> could have just been a verbal typo. It could have been, but uh, he's reading the paper book, presumably, when he's narrating. So it's a typo that went all the way through. Uh, no, I mean, every- he could have just misspoken. No, because you, you're saying it the, out of the book the way he read it. The oh, original in the sky. Yeah, the, it's the river, river SKI. SKAI. River Sky mm-hmm. uh, Dreamlands. Let's see if I'm bringing. Maybe I'm misremembering. No, it's SKAI. Western River and Continent. My puppy was 1993. I'm sure that that's what he was reading from. It's just odd. First Avo Nova printing, September 1994. It's it's just a little error, I guess. But uh, it made me wonder, like, did he do all that from memory? Or did he consult the actual book when he was writing... The, that scene, because I don't think that that is straight, uh, literally transposed from uh, the novel by, again, that's a pretty weird novel, by Lovecraft. I think that he is c- compressing a bunch of things together, because that True. takes place over more stuff. So I don't think any of those words are literally Lovecraft's sentences. I think I, I could be wrong. Um, I'm just going by my own memory. But if I was to start typing, you know, out fake Dreamlands passages, I would probably get some errors wrong, like where Dilathlene is in relation to Oryeb or, or the, like, just we, we got a very compressed view of the Dreamlands in that little section. And ultimately, the plot, the technical plot of this book is, is openers and closers. The one thing that is never mentioned is what they're opening and closing. I, I, I know Technically, it was mentioned, but they didn't use the phrase, which is the opener of the way. And I believe that's a Robert Block phrase. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they're opening a portal as to, an you know, they're up opening a gateway to the Elder Gods. I, I don't think there's any other way to interpret what's happening. No, that's definitely what's happening. But but uh, that phrase, the opener, like, oh, none of these characters, right, are other than the cultist are Lovecraftian characters. And even the cultist is not necessarily right. Lovecraftian or Lovecraft. Because <clears throat> um, th- those are rarely viewpoint characters. Um, but uh, that that taking taking up the Lovecraftian torch and writing August Derelis style, you know, it's I guess the technically the closest... Um, to a Lovecraft story would be this is the Dunwich horror, and these characters are the people trying to stop uh, the opening of the way in that story, right? Uh, the what's the family name in Dunwich? That with the, they have the brother, the two brothers. One's invisible, and the other ones uh, have the Waitleys. The Watleys, yeah, the Waitleys. Um, they uh, so they're the. Uh, they're trying to they're openers, and then the people at the uh, at the university are closers. But they don't call them that. In in it's only in this book that they're they're. I've seen those phrases: openers and closers. 
So he's he's taken a sort of a Lovecraftian style plot and put in the uh, monster, universal monster characters, right? Um, well, I think he's put in a lot more than that. I really adore the reaching across the lines, the friendship between uh, uh, Snuff and Grey Malk and later between Jack and Jill. Um, I, I love that they deliberately obscure for as long as they can whether each other are openers and closers so that they can work together in the beginning to find clues and, you know, figure out where things are um, and who the other players are. Um, I, I, I love that, you know, aspect of teamwork and respect for each other, even though they're working in different purposes. I love their indignation at the new people who aren't following the rules of, of, of etiquette. Speaking for of which, is cheater the che- is cheater the one who cheats and is neither an opener nor a closer, but just wants in on the game? No, Actually, that's Bubo. that's Bubo. Bubo. Oh, right. Bubo. Okay. Yeah, cheater, I think, is one of the names that doesn't mean anything. I think it's just referring to the noises that squirrels <laughs> make. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. Uh, so that the animals being the main uh, another book that this is similar to but i think is much more straight up a novel um is uh like the what's a neil gaiman graveyard book the graveyard book mm-hmm. <laughs> what's yeah. that neil gaiman graveyard book called uh, yes, the graveyard book <laughs> that ha- that also has uh, jack the ripper essentially in it um he kills the main character's family uh, at the beginning, and then he's raised by ghosts in the graveyard. It's uh, a retelling of uh, the Jungle Book, right? But right. the graveyard. Um, but uh, it, it it and it actually has um, a character who, when you're reading it at first, you don't know. Oh, that person is a werewolf, right? But it isn't the literal werewolf from the the Universal movie. And there's a vampire yeah, character, Mrs. Lipitsky or Lupe- something. Lupescu, like that. and that's Lupe- also an, uh, that's also another reference. I there's a story called um, Mr. Lupescu, um, which is uh, not by Block, I think. But in any case, um, the- I'll just mention that is also a wonderful audiobook. Oh, um, amazing! There's a version on YouTube. Of Gaiman reading his mm-hmm. own book, and oh, it's oh, perfect. It's, it's <laughs> the officially released audiobook too. Yeah, it's oh, the one okay. that I listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's an amazing, amazing book, uh, and really fun for kids. Um, I read it with a bunch of students, and it's very fun. It's interesting. Yeah, Actually, I don't know yeah. that I'd recommend this book to kids. No, um, I think it's more of a teen book. Yeah, at least. But or for weird old kids <laughs> in their fifties, maybe. Like I would, no, I mean, like this is the book that I would have loved to read when I was like, you know, eight to ten. It's fun. It's like that but, monster but, match. But it, but it creep, that might creep out other kids, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing. It depends. on Neil Gaiman's theory is that adults are much more creeped out by oh, all this yeah. stuff than kids. Clearly, well, that's true. A lot of kids can be kind of bloodthirsty. I mean, the original fairy tales. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, although it turns out that the little girl who who said that Coraline wasn't too scary actually thought it was scary scary as heck, but but didn't want to tell anyone because that she wouldn't have been able to finish reading it. Yeah, I mean <laughs> they, they want to be scared. We all do. That's why we read mm-hmm. the scary stuff, right? So 
it, it is kind of odd that Jack is is essentially a good guy. And we think he's a good guy because we like Snuff, and Snuff uh, is very loyal. <laughs> yeah. Although I guess all, all in all, and pretty Jack much Jack every- is also always courteous, a, a, a gentleman. He's very polite, polite as he rips yeah. you apart. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily guess- the same thing as good. <laughs> no, no, I guess it's not. aside from... The great detective, though, I guess pretty much all the characters have kind of ambiguous morality. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it seems like even the people that want to keep the gate closed are, with the exception of maybe Jack, are really just kind of doing it because they don't, they like the world the way it is, like Dracula said, you know. Um, they don't, you know, it seems like almost like most of the people here don't even really care all that much about humanity one way or the other. They just, for whatever reasons, want the gate either open or closed. <laughs> it was, uh, it was ridiculous. Like he was having too much fun with the, the Sherlock Holmes, like dressing up <laughs> the, he's He had the scene from what's that? Um, the pencil. He is the blind beggar with the pencils. I can't remember. That's a particular Sherlock Holmes story. Um, oh, oh yeah. I, I think, I think Linda Enderby might, be an actual name for an actual disguise he used? I don't know. Books, I haven't read all I of the later ones. Sure. But there's one the one is definitely from a particular uh story where he dresses up as a homeless guy and sells pencils uh because uh actually it's uh, the guy in jail is the guy who murdered the guy who yeah, I can't remember the name of the story but it's it's a it's a terrific like little <laughs> reference to that, and it's like, oh, dude, you're showing off who you're talking about, the great detective. I know who you're, and I think that 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 that's the point of this book is he's having really a lot of fun, and as the readers read this story and say, oh, I know who that is, right? And it's like a little checkbox. It's like you could almost have as a, as a novelty for this novelty book a page where you say, uh, you put the check mark beside it as you identify the characters. Like, who is the great detective? Uh, so, or like a so word search under cross? Your, under your rubric, then Jesse, of yeah. this being a novelty book, and I, I mean, I mean, I apologize if I imply that you imply that that makes it a lesser book, but I know how you feel about books which are not focused on ideas and more focused on characters. You don't care about characters as much as you care about ideas. Correct. So, in the end, this is not a Jesse book. I think I, I, think I enjoyed it. Yep, yeah, but it's not a Jesse book. You might enjoy it, but this is not a Jesse. I book. didn't write it. I, I, no, no, no. By by, just we know. Okay, for for listeners and for every, um, a Jesse book is a book where the ideas come front and center, and what and the science fiction story is about the exploration and yeah. Well, this is not a science. Yeah, this is not a science fiction story, so I'm not trying to you know judge it in that respect. I appreciate what he did here. I think that it's it's clever. I think that it's not as great a book as the graveyard book. Uh, but I don't think that's because of anything he did wrong exactly. I think the idea is not as good an idea as, as the graveyard book, right? Like, I think that this is a fun book and it is like leaning into that idea. That's why the illustrations are there. It's leaning into the idea of this is fun. This is, you recognize uh, these characters. If we had, you know, there's like word search, uh, style games and like on the left hand side, there's, uh, I don't know. It's like crosswords where like you, you run an arrow from one to the other and you say, okay, this, this character goes with that character. This is an analog for that. Uh, You know, another word that might help you here, Paul, because you're, you're, 
I think you're worried that I think this is a bad book, and I'm not. I'm not saying it's a bad book. I'm. I'm saying it's. It is a strange book. There's a novel form called uh, Romana Clef. You know about this? It's yeah. The French version. Uh, so we would say in English, uh, novel with a key. Uh, and basically, it means is each character is an analog for somebody else. Right. Yeah, but but romantic clip is for real people, not for fictional characters. That's correct. So that's uh, I guess probably why I didn't bring it up in the first place, right? Um, I, I I I mean, the romantic clip sounds like the Great Gatsby, where clearly he's modeling people from real nineteen twenties. Uh, I've not read that book. Um, I do know that uh, I have read some, and what's interesting is. You bring yourself to your book, whatever book it is, right? Um, but if you're not super, like the older back in time, like, okay, I guess a good example would be, uh, um, what's the uh, one set in hell? <laughs> um, oh, and there's a few set in the hell. The Inferno? There's the Inferno, yeah, for sure. But also there's a Larry Niven Inferno where... Oh. Where, uh, you know, you see Robert Heinlein in hell or whatever. Right? No, it's not Robert Heinlein. It's, um, Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, His whatever. Is in hell. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the point is, is like, if you don't know who these people are, um, it makes it harder to understand why the book is working or how it would work. And so it, it expects a certain knowledge. And the thing is, is I think most people are familiar with at least half of these characters, right? So the, the, I think the hardest one to understand is the cultist or maybe, um, the mad monk, right? Cause those are not uh, super popular figures. Sherlock Holmes is a super popular, popular figure. I think most people would probably figure out Frankenstein's creature is the experiment man, right? We never mentioned him. Um, and what's his role? He's just a sort of claw clunk around and pet dogs he's he's almost even half uh lenny from <laughs> the grapes of wrath no that's not what's it called well actually mice i, I kind of thought about mice and men too but yeah. we will talk about mice and men next week with blaze oh really i, I, I heard that yeah oh really that yeah interesting i got the audiobook though that might not might be a spoiler jesse but yes i i'm looking forward to it uh the um i was actually uh the the, the Experiment Man actually does kind of play an important role in a Gollum-like way, preventing the gate from from being open. Yeah, he ends up being important to the plot, but <laughs> he was neither an opener nor a closer, right? Just likes petting animals. <laughs> I, I actually around. think um, I actually think one of the reasons the book works so well is for for something that we haven't actually talked about That's as that. much. We haven't really talked about the animal characters who are actually the main focus of the book. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. a lot of charm and they have a lot of personality and yes. they're funny. And I love the way they interact with each other. And I think mm-hmm. that's why I really enjoy the book, even though we don't actually get to see or interact with the famous characters and archetypes as much as one might have expected. I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I, 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 I think that they, they are the most interesting characters in the book is the animals. The other, you know, I, I enjoyed seeing Sherlock Holmes show up and make, make uh, a fool of himself in a certain sense, right? I, I love the twist well, at the end. He didn't make a fool of it, himself. He's, he, uh, he figured stuff out eventually. Yeah, but he's like... He's and he running, saved running, that running. girl at the end? Yeah, no, I'm just saying like he's doing his Sherlock... He's he's doing typical Sherlock Holmes <laughs> things, right? 
I, I thought it was a really funny twist how it turns out at the end that Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes or the great detective figured out how to make himself a werewolf. His greatest disguise, yeah. <laughs> so silly. Oh, I loved it. I love this book. This is one of my favorite books. Wow. It was nominated for a Nebula Award. I re-listen to it most years, um, wow. day by day, diary style. Um and, uh, you know, it's, it just, you know, it gives me a good feeling, a happy feeling to hear it, you know, to revisit it and hear the characters again and um, uh, just enjoy so much fun Zelazny had playing with ideas and references and characters and bringing them together, uh, you know, in a very agreeable way to me. Um, and so... Uh, it's probably not an important book, but it is a very charming book, um, and I just love it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you, you're allowed to love books for sure. <laughs> um, I think Zelazny actually considered it one of his best as well. Um, but that's just according to what I read on Wikipedia. <laughs> I read. I can't remember where I read it, but I read in an interview with his son, uh, who talked about you know being living with his dad when his dad was writing on that book, and he would read him a chapter at night, and they would talk about it, and it just sounded like um, Zelazny had a great time writing this book, and uh, yeah, I also remember reading that it was one of his his own favorites i don't remember if he thought it was one of his best but he definitely thought it was one of his he had fun writing favorite books yeah on wikipedia it says it was his last book and one of his personal favorites Mm -hmm. and there is there is like a reference there is a reference here but i'm not sure i'm still not exactly sure what the source is i think it was from zelazny.corrupt.net i don't know archive (laughs) From the original, yeah, I can't see what the source of that is, but that's on Wikipedia. <laughs> I guess it was his last book, though. I guess we can confirm that one. Here's the, the an example of of a Shaggy Dog story. So this is uh, the uh, the 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 point of a Shaggy Dog story is you, you get this long, 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 long joke, and you don't know it's a joke. You think it's just a story. And then it gets to the end of the story, and the way to end the story is with a little button, right? So he knew from the beginning, uh, this is not to say it's a bad thing. It's just to say that that's why the ending is there. This is a very short example of a shaggy dog, dog story. A boy owned a dog that was uncommonly shaggy. Many people remarked upon its considerable shagginess. When the boy learned that there are contests for shaggy dogs, he entered his dog. The dog won first prize for shagginess in both the local and regional competitions. The boy entered the dog in ever larger contests until he entered it in the world championships for shaggy dogs. When the judges had inspected all of the competing dogs, they remarked about the boy's dog. He's not that shaggy. <laughs> That's a very short joke of a, of the kind of that this is, right? The, the whole point <laughs> of it is like, what? He pulled the rug out from under me, right? So, um, the plot at the end, it, it's resolved very fast. And then we get that little, uh, and the boy, uh, how's it end? Boy came tumbling after. That's not right. I came tumbling after. Jack and Jill went up the hill 
And Gray and down I the ran hill. after. Went down the hill, and Gray and I ran after. Yeah, so it's the Absolutely. cat and the dog, right? The same two yep. opening characters. <laughs> Although, I guess they're not the opening characters. It's actually really interesting. The f- This whole book is framed. Uh, is front framed. Uh, where he says... Um, the dog starts the story and he says, you know, I do this and I do that. And, uh, I met a, uh, dog in a graveyard recently. And then he relates the conversation. Then he says, you know what? I should just tell this story month by month, uh, day by day. Yep. So it is, Good fr- it, it, so that tiny front is actually subsequent to all the action. So we know he's not going to die, right? The dog's not going to die. Um, no, and it's he, not subsequent. It's it's a prologue. They were there before October. Um and uh later he meets the dog again, but it is a subsequent meeting. Uh it, yeah, what I'm saying is the frame at the beginning where he says I'm going to yeah. tell this story okay. shows that this whole novel is recounting events of the past rather okay. than going day by day like uh um, October 1st, I did this, right? Mm-hmm. Which is another way it could have gone. And it's, it's also, I believe that I have not got the physical copy of the book, but I believe chapter length is quite variable, right? Oh, absolutely. So you can have a one page chapter and a four page chapter. I think, yeah. I think the last chapter is the longest, like 20 pages or something right, like right. that. And that's also wonderful because Unless you're trying to read it day by day, which is, uh, I guess it's a way of, um, like, uh, not eating all your candy at once, right? You just, I'll just have one. <laughs> uh, and then I you have, have a big some, one on the last day. I have done some Googling while we were talking, uh-huh. and um, numerous people uh, support your thesis, Jesse. Oh, it, I, I think it's, it's, and it's not a, um, it's not a, uh, a negative. It's just it explains why it's so unnormal novel like. And and I I note that most witches are not named Jill. <laughs> or Jack. Yes, but but, but, but great great Malkin as per the link that uh yeah that that's a that, witch that Trish cat. gave is 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 a cat from Macbeth. Yes, so. you know that right. it means gray cat. Yeah. <laughs> Malkin is another word for cat. Moggy. That probably was my favorite character, but I'm mm-hmm. par- partial to cats. So, <laughs> although I used to have pet rats too. <laughs> I wanted to spend more time with that poor snake. Quick line. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of sad. Although I guess things kind of worked out for him in a way. In the end. <laughs> um, and the uh, getting uh, dr- getting the drunk part Malkin was. And, sorry. I was just gonna say getting getting drunk on uh, rotten. Rotten fruit, fermented plums, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. excellent. <laughs> and then hang uh, I wish that there was sympathy of view for the closers who were sorry for the openers who were in it for good causes because the world is a rotten place sometimes, and you know they wanted things to change, and you know I personally don't want things to change by letting elder gods into. <laughs> ruin how everything is now but i can see you know they they a lot of them had 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 undergone horrible things in their lives and were angry at the way the world was and wanted to change it and i can see you know sympathizing with that point of view i think rather than just making everyone a 
a slavering vicar who is just a power monger, I think much makes it a much better book. You know, even in a light, uh, light-hearted book like this, the uh, both sides uh, have some complexity to it, to them. Yep, I liked it. It's a good book. I like Moore's The Last Name too. I'd I'd would love for some collection of his short stories to be released because as an audiobook because he's um he's a thoughtful and he he brings different stuff to his work than other writers do. You know, I that's what I most mm-hmm. like about a good writer is they have uh different hobby horses that they want to ride and I'm not them, so I get to see when they ride their hobby horses, uh, uh, some good riding or writing. <laughs> Little pun. Were there any parts of this book that y'all thought were were actually scary? Mm. Yep, there was one part for me. What was that? That was the part where they were trapped in the uh, the, the the mad doctor's laboratory with oh the, yeah a- animal experiments. You're gonna cut off his legs. The yeah. vivisection. He, yeah. yeah. We also just kept talking about hearing all the the howling and wailing of all the other animals. Right, so right. That actually really creeped me out. <laughs> that one. That's right, kind and of the that of course but... is based on real stuff. There were yeah. sectionists in Victorian England, and there were lots of people who demonstrated and wrote articles and stuff about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and anti-vivisection you know, so, league. It was a whole right, thing. right. So, so that was a. a a one of the real horrors <laughs> in this book, and that certainly helped it be scary because I knew that stuff like that actually happened. Well, the Island of Doctor Moreau is is that right? It is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it based is a, on some of the, that stuff too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's you know, uh, and what what's I always really appreciate about Wells that nobody seems to ever want to talk about is that he, his his characters are all villains. Like everybody in Wells' stories are bad people. And I guess we have that here too, except, you know, you can't hate Snuff. He's just a loyal dog. But, uh, the, uh, the fact that they don't know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, that's why Sherlock Holmes is, he's not an opener nor a closer, right? And, and same well, yeah. with Frankenstein's creature. He's just a big lovable guy. <laughs> and and all, the, all the animal. And all the animals like get along weirdly well, even though they're yes. technically in, in antagonistic relationships. Yes, I'm afraid of cats, and dogs are afraid of this and rats, and whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but they all get along. It's uh, a fable. Um, very, very nice. I like it. Um, can I share with you guys the part of the book that made me laugh out loud the most? Please. Um, now. I actually had to rewind slightly when I heard this in the audio book because I laughed before. <laughs> it's, it's funnier if you cut it off at a certain point. So I'll just share it that way first. Sure. Okay. Um, what's going on at the end of the month? Weird stuff. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now, of course, in the audio book, he, com- he immediately follows it up with, I said, a little specialized craziness. Stay away from any human gatherings that mm-hmm. night. But still, just the fact that he at first responds with simply saying weird stuff just really cracks me up. Yep. <laughs> it's a little joke. Um, also, um, 
It's self-aware. It, it knows what it's it doing, right? It's it, it's why it's so different from like if if you said I'm going to write a werewolf book, you wouldn't uh, have Larry Talbot show up unless that was like part of the story. Larry Talbot is is there for a reference. Everybody say, oh, it's a reference to the werewolf movie, The Wolfman, right? It's a why? it's a recognition. Uh, half the fun of the reveal of these characters is the fact that you have to infer, right? So Mad Monk, it, it's never he's never mentioned his name's never mentioned. Rasputin, right? Why? Because I think they actually call him Rostov. Rostov is his name Rostov, in the book, yeah. right? But and there's that's not how people know more him. than one crazy Russian monk. <laughs> yeah, but um, the the stuff with the but, poison, I think, makes it. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty clear uh, reference, and yes. and that's why you know it could just be his pseudonym. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Because Rasputin's immortal and I could, still hang I don't out. know what Rasputin's real name is, right? I don't. I don't even know. So Rostov is probably what it is. But the uh, the the playing of the game of recognition it's it's like a it's it's a quiz book in a certain sense as a, a recognition guide, and that's that's fun. And especially in a time when this is before the web, right? Nineteen ninety three. You either know or you don't know. Grigor Yaminovich Rasputin. That's only got three was, names? Only? I was going to say, actually, he figuring, was figuring he out the characters. Have, he, he was lucky oh. to have three names. Lucky to have three. <laughs> figuring out. Sorry. <laughs> I was just saying, figuring out the characters, like you said, was part of what drew me into the book. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm, I'm still not 100% clear on the cultist who... See, I think that that might be um, somebody from a story I've not read. Because I know in Wiki- in Wikipedia, the yeah. vicar was listed as not being based on a specific character, but you know that's again Wikipedia. Yeah, you can't <laughs> the you know you can't trust uh, Wikipedia's scholarship, but it's a good place to start. Yeah, and uh, I pre- I appreciate that you know he's doing stuff. And I think he did a very good job with what it really it it basically comes down to whether it's an amazing idea or just a fun idea, right? To to be whether it's a uh, a classic for the ages or just a good book. And there's nothing wrong with loving a good book, but uh, but this is not a classic for the ages. No, it's not a. I think it it it, it presumes the audience is you know. Uh, people like of his era. So in 200 years, it's going to be a lot more like uh, one of those romantic lefts where you're trying to figure out which political figure is being represented. And right. When, when you really don't know anything about British politics. Exactly. I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't know the difference between these two prime ministers and you're trying to, (laughs) I I mean, the, the, the comes down through language, right? There's what's the Gladstone bag. (laughs) We have the word Gladstone bag, but we don't know who Gladstone is, right? <laughs> How that yeah, happened? Effect of Vicar Roberts. Um, he could have been based on several people. He actually made me think a little bit of uh, Robert Mitchum and Knight of the Hunter, although oh, yeah. their motivation was greed, not uh, 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 world-ending power. 
Um, but his White Raven tequila, uh, uh, that seems to be a pretty obvious reference to Tequila Lee. Yeah, um, I think they mentioned that on the um, the Strange Studies, Strange Stories podcast. I didn't catch that myself. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, listening but, to the audiobook, you might think that it's spelled tequila, like the alcohol. I didn't um, realize. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was spelled differently until um, I read the last quarter of the book. They mm-hmm. they pointed eyes. out it should have been a penguin, and I thought that's actually pretty fun. What? <laughs> because Tequila Lee is from from uh, Antarctica, <laughs> so it wouldn't be a raven, right? It'd be a penguin. <laughs> but penguin. It's strange to see a penguin wandering around. Uh, yeah, the, uh, England Shire. <laughs> it's a strange familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I made a joke about that. I made a I made a a big long giant pun out of uh, a strange, strange, familiar stranger. Yes, got and, it. Yep, we got and it. It was so good. <laughs> uh, useless, completely useless, <laughs> but excellently executed. Oh. <laughs> All righty, I think we're captured the show here. Did you all want me to say anything about the book copy I have? Why don't I don't know. Say we talked it, about it briefly wh- before. Wh- oh, sure. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I found out more from you guys after showing it to y'all earlier, but um, I actually have, I have a, an actual hardback copy of it um, that used to belong to Horry County Memorial Libraries. Um, I bought it from one of their book sales. Uh, it's still in pretty good shape because uh, it has, you know, the plastic sleeve and all that. Although nice. it's also got, you know, it also has stickers and barcodes and whatnot on it. You can take some of that off. Uh, I could. I kind of like seeing that stuff. In fact, I even mm-hmm. still have a slip here that I used as a bookmark um, that uh, shows that this was once a loan uh, through interlibrary loan to Emerson Brian, uh, Brian Emerson in Greenville. Well, it's got a provenance <laughs> then. Yeah. Yeah, but but uh, apparently I think it was Paul that looked it up earlier. I didn't realize that a hardback copy of this book, um, you know, uh, was actually kind of rare. <laughs> So I'm pretty lucky to actually have a copy of this, and all the illustrations look great. Um, I love the illustrations. That's definitely, you know, the audio book is great with Zelazny reading it, but yeah. you really also need to experience the the book version with the Gay and Wilson illustrations. Mm-hmm. Well, I, this is definitely I, I an that. example. Oh, no, I can I'm, show them to you later, Jeff. No, Jeff, no, I, I, I want to have a copy so I can scan and put them all up, but... Uh, yeah, uh, a signed copy of this goes for two hundred sixty-five dollars. A signed? Oh, well, mine's not signed. No, <laughs> <laughs> although it does, it does have a an Horry County Memorial Library stamp. On well, it. that's <laughs> even better. Yeah, uh, inscribed uh, versus signed is also me. Uh, this one signed to a particular person, which I think reduces it as opposed to just signed. You know, so mm-hmm. if you can go back in time and capture him at the right convention, you can get him to sign it for you and say, please don't dedicate it to me because I need to make some cash on Abe. Um, <laughs> and it has all well, this other providence, you know? Yeah. Providence. Yeah. Uh, I'll try to hold on to it for now, though. All right. this, is, this is why I've never made money on on books because I want them inscribed. So. Well, no, there's this other phenomenon, Paul. Um, there's a, a association copy. Those are actually more valuable. So if it's from one famous person to another famous person, 
then it has more value than if it's just to some random. Well, but so, and so, you're a six-time Hugo finalist. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a six-time Hugo finalist. I am a five-time Hugo finalist. I thought you were a guy named Paul White Weimer, but I don't know. I don't. I mean, I, I, I am somewhere in though. So, <laughs> a sign. We'll see. We'll see. Kate Elliott book doesn't wouldn't bet any. <clears throat> I don't even know who Kate Elliott is, so I don't think uh, I. My point exactly. Yeah, that's that's my point. Is a signed copy dedicated to Paul? I was like, holy crap, this was for Paul, <laughs> and be a lot more interesting to me. Um, I know who Roger Zelazny is. That's that's the good news. Uh, I don't I, I don't know. Maybe there's a Gahan Wilson and Roger Zelazny signed association copy to, copy to. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle or something. That'd be pretty pretty valuable. Right. I imagine it would be. <laughs> I'm going to have to go now. All right. Thank you, sir. Have a good game. Have a good, have a good day. It was good have talking with you, Paul. Wow. I I oh. just searched highest prices uh, for Roger Zelazny, the f- highest one. Massive archive of fanzines from the golden age of science fiction includes... A Zelazny, $150,000. And then oh, wow. next next one down is Nine Princes in Amber, uh, 6500 Like a first edition or something? Uh, hardcover, uh, fine. Dust jacket, first edition, first printing, I, signed. I, I was trying to figure out um, if this was a first edition or not. Um, well, uh, usually... Go to the copyright uh, I'm page. I'm trying to remember how to tell. I used to know. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the copyright page. Yeah, so um, if it doesn't have like A, B, C, D, E, uh, that's one way. It depends on the publisher. At the bottom it says A, R, C. Oh, that advanced reading copy. So it's not actually a uh, mm. uh, first edition. Oh, it's a pre-first this edition. It's an advanced reading copy. Hmm. Which yes. is not usual for libraries. Um, usually they that's don't have them. That is odd. Yeah, uh, you're uh, not but, supposed to pass but, on your ARCs, except maybe to a personal friend. Uh, but, you're definitely not supposed to sell them, but I suppose someone donated to the library or something. Hmm. Possible. Yeah, I, that I wouldn't. Um, that I wouldn't be able to find out. So, they're they're <laughs> even truer than first editions, right? In a certain sense, because they're the first published version. No, they well, haven't uh, had the final proofreading yeah, and all of that. Yeah, thing. it's uh, there's an uncorrected proof uh, as well. It's a bunch of other little. Yeah, this pre- is not an uncorrected proof. No, a, lot, a bunch of other. Uh, me, I just like uh, the book to be complete and have uh, any art and maybe a dust jacket if it had that. Mm. I'm not. I, I really almost have no hardcovers at all. I'm mostly paperback guy. Oh, uh, uh, Jesse, this, this, this copyright page has some writing in it that might mm-hmm. counteract one of your theories. What's that? It, it says, A Night in the Lonesome October is an original publication of Avon Books. This work has never appeared in book, never before appeared in book form. This work is a novel. Uh-huh. Uh, well, well, no, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, and, and it, says, it is a novel. Any similarity to actual persons or events is purely coincidental. Well, that part, know. that part you can't trust either. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, right. what's funny is sometimes they have it and they still have it. It's so, so weird. Like they just publish a book, uh, with a title and then it says a novel right after. Like, why are you doing that? <laughs> I know it's a novel. You know why are you telling me? You, 
You know what is actually one of the weirdest, most blurring the lines books I've ever read, and, uh, and it might surprise you, is um, Norm Macdonald's book. Oh, uh, that. Um, oh, I'm getting the name of it all of a sudden. I'm going to look it up. Uh, it's presented like um, an autobiography, mm-hmm. um, but it is. It's heavily, it's really bizarre because, like, it's heavily fictionalized for one. Mm-hmm. It intentionally uh, plays situations from his real life in the complete opposite. Like, um, yeah, it's a comedy book. Portrays, yeah, it is, although it's hit and miss. Based on but, a true story, uh, a memoir, is that the book? That's the one. It's mm-hmm. not a real memoir at all. Right. Um, and in fact, the first part of the book has a much more serious tone to it. And, there, and later in the book, it's revealed that the ghostwriter that Norm MacDonald hired <laughs> um, gradually started like becoming an alcoholic and started getting <laughs> more and more stressed out of the situation and put his own book at the beginning of the book <laughs> because he was so mad at Norm MacDonald for ruining his life. <laughs> I, I, bet, I bet Norm MacDonald wrote it. <laughs> yeah, he did. He wrote it. And <laughs> but he part says it, it's ghostwritten. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and for the most part, it's pretty awesome. funny, although there's one chapter that's basically just one big, long rape joke, which I didn't really think was very funny. It was but shaggy dog rape joke. That's an issue I've had with Norm MacDonald Donald, already. Wild years. and dangerous and flat-out unbelievable. Here is an incredible yeah. memoir of an actor, gambler, raconteur, SNL veteran, and one of the best stand-up comedians of all time. Read by Norm MacDonald and Tim O'Halloran. Seven hours. He, play, minutes. he plays the the ghost writer that shows up and and, ah. and and writes writes in his point of view every once in a while to talk about how stressed out he is about Norm Macdonald making him write this. Are book. we scheduling this book? I don't know. <laughs> I just thought it was. It's just one of the weirder books I've actually read, and I was surprised because forward by I Louis C.K. started it. I, what's that? The forward is by Louis C.K. It says on here. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was it was weird. I mean, like I said, I had mixed opinions about it, but some of it was really funny and clever and creative. Um, but I, I actually it. started reading it, not realizing that it wasn't a real memoir at first. <laughs> well, I mean, based on a true story, that's a joke, right? A memoir. That's yeah. I, what's funny is memoir is another way of saying autobiography, right. but I don't have to tell the truth. Um, right. There's, oh, there's and a, also if you. Oh, there was, really there was quick, a, if you go to yeah. Wikipedia, it describes the book as a novel. Yeah, so the reason uh, – novel sort of a – it's a catch-all, right? It doesn't even mean anything. It means new, and that's not really what it is, right? It's a very yeah. old format. But uh, the 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 there's a book called – I want to say Shattered Glass, but I think that's not the title. Tiny – A Thousand Pieces or something. It was like a a memoir that somebody wrote. Um, and it turned out to be either plagiarized or, or completely fictional. And they said, well, it's a memoir. <laughs> That's what I remember. <laughs> it was like a big scandal. Um, it was like, that's how I remember it as opposed to like, uh, reading, you know, an actor's autobiography. And he says, here's the first half of my life. And then we wait five years and then he writes the second half of his life. Um, and you know, it's not complete because he's still alive when he finished writing it. But, uh, well, those are good books. I was, all, 
I was always under the impression that the main difference between a memoir and a biography is just that a memoir only covers a certain portion of their life as opposed to trying to cover their entire life. Yeah, that is part of it. But also this idea of memoir has the idea of memory. And, you know, when I'm writing down what happened, that that's what I remember about it. It may not be the truth. Um, so it has this sort of sense of self, um, uh, untrustworthiness, which I, you know, not necessarily a bad thing. Um, speaking of which, I've been rewatching, um, Better Call Saul because it just finished and it's such a good show. And so mm-hmm. I started, I went through, zipped through seasons one through five and, uh, you know, noticing things that I didn't notice watching the first time because I know how the story is completes and, um, watching it back to back versus, you know, once a week for a few weeks, several times over several years, I noticed a lot of things that I didn't notice before. Um, for the final season, uh, it starts with a copy of the time machine and it ends, uh, with a copy of the time machine, the, H.G. Wells novel. And then somewhere in the middle of that last season, Chuck, the brother who's dead, by uh, the final season comes out. Um, it, we see him going back in time uh, and talking to his brother uh, about uh, how time travel works and the time machine. So there, there's that. But I also noticed, like in I, I maybe the third season, um, he's at his brother's house and he looks on the bookshelf and he sees a book that his mom read to him as a child, uh, that is Saul or Jimmy saw this book. His mom read to him as a child. He says, no, I read you that, um, the older brother, Chuck, right? And then later in that season, we see him in the tent with his brother reading him from that book. And that's a real book. And I, I really, I think when you've got really good writers who are writing really good stuff, you should pay attention to what books they point to and what movies they point to. So I've been tracking that. Uh, I tracked the children's book that they talk, you know, the older brother read. It was a, like a 19th century uh, uh, story about a little girl who gets the ability to talk to animals uh, from a gnome or something. And then uh, the other one that appears, the other book that appears is a memoir slash uh, autobiography uh, that apparently has massively... Uh, broad appeal to all readers, which is called The Moon is a Balloon. It's a David Niven's memoir from 1971. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I uh, like David Niven. Yeah, I like David Niven too, but apparently this book is uh, amazing and super like funny because it's so raw and real. Um, so if that one's available as an audiobook, we should do that because Trish is out for Louis oh. C.K. Um, Let me, yeah. Let's see, audiobook. I wonder if. Oh, uh, well, Norm MacDonald's book is available in audio, but I. Yeah, no, I was talking about that one. About but it. Louis C.K. did the intro, so Trish doesn't want to do it. Yeah. But let's see if David Niven did <laughs> I the I think that narration. book came out before the controversy, but I'm not sure. There's a abridged version for two hours. That's too bad. I'd prefer. Uh, who wants an abridged version? Give me the, the entire version every uh, time. Audible. Oh, the David Niven book? Yeah. Oh, see what bad. we can find. Audible. Uh, speaking of audiobooks, sort of, um, I don't know if you've heard uh, that uh, the BBC, well, Radio 4 or whatever, is doing uh, an audio drama version of Susan Cooper's The Dark is Rising. I did see that, yeah, on Twitter somewhere. Somebody tweeted it. 
Have you ever done The Dark is Rising? No. Um, it's uh, I have the paper book somewhere. Um, it's a mm-hmm. series, right? Like three book series. Yeah, it's five books. Oh, okay. Uh, I think. Um, yeah, and uh, so, but the, I think they're doing the actual book, The Dark is Rising, not the se- not the whole sequence. Looks like um, that David Niven is only available on a bridge. I guess it's because it was when he was still alive, nineteen seventy one, two thousand five copyright date. So that's unfortunate. Um, would you be interested in doing the Dark is Rising? Uh, I would guess so. Dark is Rising. Um, let's see what the audiobook looks like. Uh, let's see here. Eight hours, 42 minutes. It's normal novel length. Oh, wait, that's the second book in the series. But is that the first one it published? It is, but the first book is kind of a prologue that you don't need to read. Yeah, I, but I think it's also the second. It's the first book published, right? Dark is Rising? Uh, no? Yeah, it might be kind of like the... um the, Lion, uh, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Right. All right, let's have a seat. 73... Uh, yeah, okay. And then it says, Dark is Rising Sequence. Let's see. Let's see. The first book in the series, Oversea Understone, was originally conceived as a standalone novel, and the sequence gets its name from the second novel in the series, The Dark is Rising. Uh, all right. What, when was the first one published? Uh, hang on. Oversee 65. Under- okay, so quite a s- separation, right? All right. So um, I'm not against it, um, especially if it is, you know, where you can start and not feel like uh, you're in the wrong place. Like uh, when I read Lion, the Witch is in the Wardrobe, I had no idea about the silver chair or whatever it was, um, and it worked fine. Well, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was actually written first. Yeah, I think the first I read in that series was uh, Prince Caspian, um, and only later read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I didn't have any problem with Prince Caspian. Yeah, yeah, I'm just wondering. I I just want to be on the right. um, I don't want to be bitching about why this book sucks. Yeah, yeah, you don't. Right, you you certainly have some problems with series. (laughs) I do, yes. Uh, I, I believe The Dark is Rising stands alone quite well. All right. Let's book it then. Um, I, I have not who's, looked up the audio. Who's the writer again, for that again? Susan Cooper. Susan Cooper. Uh, okay, I don't think yeah. I've read anything by her. Audiobook is available. Yeah. So there's no excuses other than uh, finding the right spot. So I believe we're booking into December. Let's have a look there. Uh, All right. We got, uh, Paul's not available on Christmas. <laughs> um, I don't, I assume he would want to be on that one. So, uh, next would There's be. There's a good next, chance. I know he's read it. Yeah. Next, next opportunity would be, uh, New Year's Eve or New Year. No, New Year's Day. Sorry. And then, uh, the second week of January. Second. Well, the book starts a little before Christmas and I think goes through, um, um, what is the holiday, the 12th day, whatever that's called. Well, then we should do Um, it for the Christmas. Are you available um, on Christmas? 
I, I, I don't want to commit to be available on Christmas Day. I see. I, I see. Think it would work for New Year's Day, Day though. New Year's Day. Okay. You won't stay yeah. up too late for New Year's Eve. No, <laughs> not these days. What about you, Tony? Uh, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what my plans are for, for New Year's yet. Um, but, Staying but up for New Year's maybe. Eve all night and then having to get up for 11 a.m. for a podcast. On. Well, I don't usually go out partying. All right, fact, good. We're committing you. I even go to bed before midnight. <laughs> the dark is rising. <laughs> I'm curious, though, so uh, I'll look into Susan it and um, I'll see if I can do it. Yeah. Um, let's just... Uh, I, I know I really enjoyed reading uh, this book and I definitely want to read more by Zelazny after reading yeah. it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a real shame that his... Audiobooks are not ubiquitous. Yeah, uh, there's actually a lot more audiobooks for classic sci-fi and fantasy out now than there's ever yes. been for most of my life. Just yes. because of digital audiobooks. Yeah, absolutely. Happy about that. Trish. Uh, and I have a sh- Tony. I have a short anecdote about an abridged audiobook if you guys want to hear it. Sure. It um so you Jesse, you already know I like Star Trek. Um, uh-huh. I don't like, I don't like abridged audiobooks, but I like Star Trek and I really like, uh, Q mm-hmm. played by, um, uh, John Delancey, one of my mm-hmm. favorite characters. So actor. when I did, yeah, great actor. Yeah. Um, and, uh, w- so when I found a cassette tape, abridged audio version of the book IQ, which he actually co-wrote mm-hmm. and narrated himself, mm-hmm. I did get it. And those those abridged Star Trek audiobooks are very well produced, but sadly mm-hmm. they are all in fact abridged. But the reason I meant bring it up here though is because there's this really funny part where um and it's actually narrated by Q mm-hmm. in character, in first person. Mm-hmm. Uh there's actually one part where he's like, and then Picard and I got into this whole crazy spaceship chase battle thing, but you're gonna have to get the actual book if you want to read that part. <laughs> no, they I'm paraphrasing. Uh, but the, there are really the uh, it was an art form abridgment. Right. And the thing is, is it could be done incredibly well so that it didn't really hurt the experience. And often it was not, <laughs> it was not done incredibly well, but a lot of times it was. And that is, uh, you know, I was big into audiobooks before basically everybody. And that meant mostly it was abridgments, um, yeah. or short mm-hmm. stories. And mm-hmm. honestly, uh, the job uh, abridger is not a thing anymore. People just make, a, you know, long versions of mm. the original audiobook based yeah, on the, the original abridged book. books have fallen out of popularity, thankfully. But the, the thing is, is some books need to be abridged. Like they're bad because <laughs> they're too long. They're well, overwritten. Um, well, maybe they just don't funny. need an audiobook. I actually, I actually uh, there is one hmm. Star Trek book that I'd recommend the abridged audiobook over the regular book. Which one is that? And that would be the rules of acquisition. Oh yeah, that's a good book. Uh, um, it is read and, by um, Quark, Armin Shimmerman. Oh, yeah, mm. Armin Shimmerman himself. And there's also other actors, and there's even more production value that went into the making of this book, which is presented as kind of a nonfiction book. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that the audio book is a lot more entertaining and and funnier and colorful. Um, and I had a copy of the regular book, so I, um, I was able to just kind of. Read the parts that weren't. Audio is included. the premier they medium, my friend. You don't understand. It's abridge. so important. Yeah, and it's they the didn't way you release. a lot out of that book either. They, they only took a little bit out because it was already pretty short. And it, it is increasingly the case that audiobooks come first, 
and then the paper book comes after because it's actually much cheaper to produce an audiobook than it is to print a paper book. Hmm. At least now in the digital age. Yeah. Least, yeah. Because the replication requires control C, control V, where it doesn't do that with a printer. You have to set up a print run. It's a shipping problem. It's way more expensive. And my prediction is we're going to start seeing a lot more of audiobook, ebook only. And a lot less of uh, print book plus then ebook then audiobook because maybe uh, I, I'm I'm keeping my eye on ebook readers. I'm not an ebook owner. I've never used an e machine, e reading machine, but I keep my eye on the tech. And when the color print versions are better, they're not great yet. They're not saturated rich color. Or, you know, amazing pixelation, you know, the grain is not amazing, but the color's not quite there yet. It's good enough for, you know, textbooks, but I like the full experience. Then we will see some radical shifts in publishing that will, you know, change things a lot. Because reading on a screen, a backlit screen is not the same experience as reading on a piece of paper. It's just not. And... When it is the case that you could get a slick color uh, magazine that comes in a, a digital device that doesn't fuck up your eyes from reading it being backlit, backlit and run the battery down, uh, it'll change things up and that tech is coming. I don't know how many years away it is yet, but the color ebook readers are getting better. I was going to say, as far as um, the black and white e-readers go, like I've got one of the old paper white Kindles, mm-hmm. and um, that doesn't really give me any eye strain. No, it's it also wouldn't, not, right? Not backlit. It's not a backlit. Yeah, no, they're available with backlit, but you don't need that, right? And part of the awesome experience is just not having to worry about the battery being run down. Yeah, although my Kindle's a little old, so I am going to have to replace it eventually. Um it took me a little while to get used to ebooks. There, you know, none of these formats are ever exactly the same. But no, you they're know, not. Everyone get. I'm just all for maybe it's my library background, but I'm just all for people for getting books in whatever format they can, whatever works for them. Well, they're very um, expensive to ship. That's the. I was just talking about ones. Yeah, yeah Evan. There, there's a sale on the what's Library of America right now. Everything's on sale. They don't do foreign shipping at the moment. So it's only domestic, but ship. I'm painfully aware of how expensive it is to ship from the states into Canada, because I just I can't afford the yeah. shipping on most things. And books are, you know, light and heavy, but in either case, they're expensive. Often more expensive than the item I want to buy. There are two types of. Times when I read ebooks, one of them is when a book is just out and I really want to read it right away, um, mm-hmm. and I'll just read it all in an ebook form as soon as I can get my uh, phone on it. Mm-hmm. And the other is at night when I'm reading myself to sleep and mm-hmm. I read it on my phone, and that makes me tired. Oh, uh, <laughs> and doesn't that keep you awake? So the eye strain is a bonus. <laughs> It does not keep you awake, the the light? Oh, I turn it. I don't have it as 
I, I make the screen yellow, uh, you know, kind of faded paper yellow color for reading mm. instead of bright white. All right. And, well, if it works uh, for you, then that's great. It's just. Yeah, it works for me. I, I'm constantly. I do know about blue students. screen making. I don't. Uh, making, keeping you awake. And I don't think that that's true. I've been looking into that blue light thing. I think that's bullshit. But the light definitely does play just light. It's the circadian rhythm thing. I have so mm-hmm. many students mm-hmm. who just, they sleep through the day because they're up all night. And the reason they're yeah. up all night is because of the screens, light screens, mm-hmm. you know, video or phone or, you know, computer. It doesn't, a laptop. It doesn't matter. It just keeps you awake. So if, if you're a man, if you're able to do that, me, I put on a sleeping mask and I put on an audiobook or, I've been listening to a lot of Doctor Who episodes right now, and uh, just put me right out. I'm, I'm I play, I play relaxing sleep related videos on YouTube. There you go. <laughs> what I listen to the mo- uh, will vary, but hopefully you know, no uh, ads pop up while you're sleeping. <laughs> uh, not in the channels that do things properly. Good, good. Usually, right. and, and there have been times where I've come across that, and I can't use those to sleep because they'll wake me up. Right, um, of course. But and I noticed that some of these channels will actually even make a point of saying no ads. I mean, I don't mind there being, you know, an ad it's at, at the, the beginning, beginning of yeah. eight, eight yeah, hour I don't video, mind you know, ads but. in between videos. That's kind of right. fair game, but I hate it when they pop up during a thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I see, of course, rain videos and rain uh, and uh, fireplace uh, videos. And well, rain uh, and yeah. fireplace with somebody reading a book—that'd be the Ooh, ideal. Yeah, yeah. that's well, the stuff. <laughs> there is a guy who um who who uh releases I can send you a video later Jesse if you want. There is sure. this one guy who likes to release him reading public domain audiobooks mm-hmm. with rain in the background to help people sleep and I, I hope it's real sleep. rain, not not fake rain. Uh I think it's real rain. Good, and good, it certainly, good. It certainly worked for me. Um <laughs> I kept uh, telling I Wayne like, June uh, that he he needed to become a YouTube personality and just do that <laughs> and just picking up you, you, you make a little set, right? You have a, a dog on your lap or a cat on your lap, and and you drink some coffee, and then you read an H.P. Lovecraft story. I actually am thinking of trying to make some sort of relaxing voice um, content at some point. I have this quote unquote character I, I call Doctor Boblum. <laughs> he's and, got a, and he's it, got a problem, Doctor Boblum. He does not have a problem. No it's problem, Doctor Boblum. There's no problem with Doctor Boblum. That's the slogan. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, don't uh, mind these strange lumps under my head hair <laughs> well, it's actually it's just me speaking in a soothing voice oh. and then reading kind words to you well I don't know I just <laughs> uh, well I find a good, it was good that, story to read yeah yeah actually I would like you to my original idea was that it would be I would do a relaxing music a special about relaxing music and I would do it in that character instead but um I just kind of, I don't know. I kind of want to do like nerdy ASMR videos where I'm just like, <laughs> where I'm just going through my, my, my book collection or my record collection and just talking about them in the Dr. Boblin voice very quietly. Just like, oh, this record was uh, acquired from 52.5 in Charleston. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite stores. <laughs> my taste in music greatly. I, I'm listening to. I believe the, this was purchased to the from the quarter bin. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm going to have to get going. Oh, but, thank you, uh, Trish. Have it's a been good a one. Fun discussion oh. as always. Thank Next you. time yeah, you're you. on is for Junkyard Planet. No, it says next week. 
Blaze, or uh, you're no. not on for Blaze. Cosmic Computer, then Innocence Abroad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Okay. Talk to you later. Have a good one. Uh, I heard um, uh, the the th- thread, I don't know, the uploads of the Doctor Who episodes that I'm listening to, um, they have all the extras, and they have uh, a lot of the actress who plays Joe Grant. Um, Are talking. you talking about the Doctor Who episodes that only exist in audio format? No, no, I'm talking about the actual okay. Doctor Who show. Um, okay. Joe Grant, you know, third Doctor's uh, companion. You know who I'm talking about? I actually haven't watched that much Doctor Who, believe it or not. You, you poor boy. But good I, news. I, I like what I, I certainly like what I've seen, and my sister's a big fan. Uh, oddly enough, uh, um, despite me and my dad uh, being into Star Trek, she got more into Doctor Who. Um, well. Third Doctor really- is amazing. Um, okay. It's, uh, it's a good place to start. I'm going to send you a link as soon as I find it on my phone. But um, they have they put in more extras than I've ever seen. I've, I've been a Doctor Who collector for many That sounds years. great. Um, let's see. On my phone, scrolling up. Nope, not that one. Different browser. Ad blocker browser, different ad blocker browser. Here we go. My sister became a fan when, um, I think, when David, David Tennant. Yeah. Was the, or, well, no, maybe even before that, but at least by the time David Tennant was the doctor, uh, she was she was watching. I don't know how much of the older stuff she's watched, but I think she's seen at least some of it. Oops, I got a bunch of Doctor Who's oh, here, and I played a ver- a cover of the Doctor Who theme on last year's Halloween music special. There you go. All right, so this is not the right one. This is season nine, but if you just go to the bottom, um, you'll find. Link. Is this in the chat you're sending me stuff? Yeah, I'll send it in the oh. chat. Um, let's see here. I can direct message it to you. That's even better. You can send it to me on Twitter. That might, yeah, yeah. yeah, even better. That's easier to retrieve. Oh. So this, um, this is uh, at the bottom. There will be links to previous seasons. I think it's six, seven, eight, nine is uh, third Doctor. He's the best Doctor. Doctor Four is. Tom Baker's also very good, and five is good too. And yeah, most six of the is w- less good, and seven is not as good. And then most of the doctors after that is shit. Most oh, <laughs> you don't like the new stuff? No, it's terrible. Okay. It's awful. I, I I've seen a little bit of David Tennant. I enjoyed what I saw, but I was watching. He's a it with fine my actor. The, the problem is the writing. Uh, most of the doc, the most of the Doctor Who I've seen are two were two double VHS tape releases that I borrowed from uh, someone that had John Pertwee. Mm-hmm. He's the uh, first And then doctor. I did see, I did see one of the um, uh, Tom Baker, uh, some of the Tom Baker stuff too. I, uh, I don't know. I enjoyed all what I saw, but yeah, well the first uh, Pertwee's pretty slow. It's also black and white, which is harder to get into. Um, the ones I saw were in color, not Pertwee, John Pertwee. No, unless they're colorized. Hmm. No, Pertwee was black and white only. Um, second Doctor is all black and white as well. Um, third Doctor, um, there is one black and white serial, but that's just because they lost the color version. Um, but it starts, the first one's called Spearhead in Space. Um, it's right after his regeneration. And uh, it's got the first new monsters uh, in a while. They're called the Autons, A-U-T-O-N-S. And basically, they're aliens. This says John Pertwee was the third doctor. Pertwee is first doctor, uh, third doctor. Yeah. Who did it? Hartnell. Oh, sorry. Hartnell. I thought you said Hartnell for some reason. No, no I said Pertwee. Yeah, per- Pertwee. John Pertwee is the correct. Okay. 
Yeah, Although I actually have seen a couple of those old black and white episodes. They're a little cheesy, but I still thought they were fun. No, they're good, too. They're just not yeah. as good. But John Pertwee is an excellent doctor. There's a early serial uh, in uh, might be second season of him um, that's called Inferno. And it's it's their version of uh, the Mirror Mirror universe. So what happens is uh, on regular Earth... The doctor is uh, investigating or near a, um, a geothermal drilling plant. And uh, the guy who's doing the geothermal drilling is a mad scientist who is going to blow up the world, right? And he's drilling down into the Earth's hot core. Um, and that's going to cause the end of the world. Um, doctor uses his uh, time machine to uh, go to another time but it ends up going to an alternate earth and uh you see the evil versions of all the characters you know like this a guy with an eye patch instead of and and, and it's like a dystopia or beard yeah yeah but it's a, like a 1984 style dystopia where the the hero uh characters are all evil and it ends i'm in sure a, some star trek writers saw that well, that's the thing is, um, everybody's borrowing from everybody else and yeah. doing, but the thing is, is like, um, I just realized recently there's an amazing audio drama series. It's now finished. It looks like called the monster hunters. And if you go searching for it, you're going to have a hard time because there's about six audio drama series called the monster hunters. There's also a video game series. Called yeah. Monster it's crazy. Uh, there's so many things called monster hunters, but there's this excellence. Very, uh, very funny. It's set in the, late 60s early 70s and it's um uh it's to an unlikely duo one's a big game hunter and the other is a uh a, i don't know researcher uh, a professor at a university and they together uh hunt monsters and the first one is dracula and the second one is a werewolf and the third one and they just keep going they go through all the monsters right um, hmm. and eventually they do a Godzilla equivalent. Thematically appropriate. Oh yeah. It's excellent. It's a, it's super funny and hilarious. Um, oh, well you have to send me a link to that. Yeah, um, I'll dig it up right now. The, the, the only recent audio drama that I've listened to, and now uh, you reminded me, I still need to listen to the last couple episodes. Um, my favorite comic book <clears throat> series is, um, elf quest. Yeah. Uh, co-created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. Mm -hmm. They recently came out with, um, a Kickstarter funded, um, audio uh, drama adaptation of the fir very first ElfQuest graphic novel, basically. I saw um, that. Yeah, um, and I believe the it's producer little, is it's somebody little, I know. It's a little campier than I expected, but I actually have still really enjoyed it. <laughs> so this is the YouTube one. Oh, what did David J. West say? Oh, okay. He, he was had an emergency. No worries. Hope things... Have emerged properly. <laughs> I'm hilarious. He says, work emergency, sorry. I say, no oh, worries. Okay. I think, I hope things have emerged properly. That is okay. hilariously awesome. Okay, now how do I find you on Twitter? There you are. Okay. So this I is a link to the podcasts, uh, YouTube, no, not uh, Apple Podcasts, but it should, okay. if you can't make this one work, uh, just use whatever podcatcher you have, and you, you can see the art there. 
Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, actually, until I get a, actually, I'm getting a new phone soon, but um, I actually, uh, I got an old iPhone 6S Plus, and it's at a point where, um, there's a point where it got updated and Apple Podcasts stopped working, and I of haven't been able to use it for like a year. Yep, that's the evil that is Apple. Uh, now I'm hoping that when I get it, I'm only going to get an iPhone 8 because they're cheap and they're similar yeah. and they're still much more supported than this one. But uh, I hope it's hopefully cheaper. I'll be able to get. Hopefully I'll. Oh yeah, actually I can get one for under three hundred dollars. Yeah. Maybe even for two hundred or less. Um, seems like it's does impossible. It have an to find iPhone, new, does it have an uh, headphone jack on that? Yeah, iPhone 8 is one of the ones that still okay, has a regular good. headphone jack as well. Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. Although I do use Bluetooth head earbuds all the time. I do now, too, but, not, but not I don't. Exclusively. I do not allow them to tell me that I'm not allowed to use my fucking headphones. <laughs> um, so this one, uh, the series starts. Um, if you scroll back, uh, where is it? Steel. Okay, they start with Steel Got It, which is like a follow-up uh, little thingy but the first one is the called the haunting of roy steel that's the first episode it's, it's showing us 2018 um and then uh that's uh oh maybe i don't know maybe I'm oh, I, I, oh well, that's you'll okay. figure I'll it out it. you'll yeah. figure it out there what's funny is um one of them is it turns out it was a Doctor Who episode it was ripping off and I was like, Oh, it was a Doctor Who episode because they, they're all very recognizable, like this one is that and this one is that. Um and the the remember earlier in the show I was talking about a werewolf movie that had a uh a pause. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pause, P A W S. Just, oh, okay. I just realized that. <laughs> Had a pause, um, where you are asked who the werewolf is. That, the episode that they do on werewolf is a ripoff of that movie. That's how I found out about that movie. Uh. So what they, what they've done is they say, what is the best? What is the best way of expressing this idea? And then they sort of insert their characters into that, uh, style of a story. Um, and uh it's terrific. The original uh Pertwee doctor is got uh the producer or script uh supervisor's name was um Barry Letts, and I never thought about him being terrific before, but that's because I never really when I first started watching Doctor Who it was it was Pertwee. And I I was uh it, it was on at midnight on a Saturday, so I have to stay up late and watch it on a broadcast out of Seattle. And uh start I started watching it and I was my friends are like, can't we get up early and go on that hike like we normally do? I'm like, no, I gotta stay up till three AM watching Doctor Who. It says that show sucks. <laughs> I said, No, no, no. It's amazing. And then I showed him one and it turned out to be like one of the worst ones. And the uh the special effects are fucking awful. Awful. It was called Planet of the Dinosaurs or something like that. And it had like these really badly. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. It's, a, it's one of the worst Pertwee's. Um, but he watched the whole thing and like, uh, he says, that was awful. And I said, oh, that, I tell you, that was the worst one. I've, I haven't seen one with graphics that bad before, but they're so good. And he ended up being like a bigger Doctor Who guy than me. Because it's just so good. Uh, it's just so amazing. And they, they edited them together, uh, for the broadcasts. Normally, they're 
half hour episodes or 25 minute right. episodes, but they, the versions they, I saw were the ones that were kind of put the stitch kind of edited together. Yes. Like that too. That's how they're mostly broadcast on PBS stations in North America. But what I didn't understand at the time is that they were a variable length because the serials were of variable length. So most serials are four episodes. Some are six, some are mm-hmm. eight. And like there's a one from, uh, late Troughton second doctor that's 10. That's fucking huge, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, 10, especially for the time, 10, 25 minute episodes. Uh, that'll keep you up all night. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we, we would watch them. Like, I, that's where I got my coffee addiction, I guess, is because I needed to have coffee to stay awake to watch <laughs> it. And he, you know, he ended up editing out all the ads and, and, uh, I wish now I had some of those ads because they're really cool. And, like <laughs> local comic yeah. book company that's sponsoring our local comic book store and weird Seattle pizza companies. And it's like three o'clock in the morning ads, uh, on KVUS television. I used to have a whole bunch of Saturday morning commercials. I still have some, Mm -hmm. but I used to have a whole bunch of them from like the eight, uh, from like the late eighties, maybe even into the early nineties to a certain extent. Um, but my sister recorded over all those VHS tapes with in sync footage. Oh no. Yeah. At which she then even she still likes and sync all right, but she didn't. She later decided she didn't even want to keep all that footage. So I then took those tapes and recorded over them again. Oh no! With with like adult. So I got some tapes with Adult Swim and Cartoon Network stuff from like the two thousands. I suppose that'll be that'll come in handy one day. Um, <laughs> one of the but, earliest. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a whole bunch of old. Oh, go for it. What's that? I was just gonna say one of the earliest episodes of. This podcast was uh, uh, some author had a book out, and I'm like, I recognize your name. <laughs> and he said, you were a scriptwriter for Doctor Who. And he said, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, we can do a show. So I did a show with this guy, um, Ben Aronovich. He, he wrote for uh, some of the last of the original Doctor Whos before it became. Uh, okay. And uh, I talked about a bunch of stuff. Um, he had, he had a book series that was pretty popular a couple of years ago called, uh, Rivers of London. I, I think it might have been a TV show too. And his brother is like another, uh, maybe a politician. It's interesting. Which I haven't thought about him in a while. Been That's a one of your earlier episodes? Yeah. It's like, I just, I think I just sent it to your Twitter. Okay. Um, 1964. I'll check it out when I can. I know I actually need to go. I need to, I'll need to go in a little bit. I still have to, uh, finish putting together my, my Halloween music special. I'm hoping to have it yeah, out. Yeah, you gotta tonight, get but... work on that. Uh, or you can go the other way and just have it out in the middle of February. <laughs> it's, I, I'll have it out at least. People can tomorrow, have, a, but... it's not a broadcast. That's, I mean, it's a podcast. Oh, I know. People can have it whenever it... they want. It's it's a personal tradition. I try to have a music yeah. special out every Halloween. It's just something I like to do. Yeah, no. I haven't managed to do it every year, but most of the years. You're um, quite allowed. I will allow it. <laughs> um, <laughs> can't stop actually, it. Might as well allow it. I can't remember if I told you already, but I actually have recordings of me reading The Time Machine and The Island of Dr. Moreau yeah, that you I'll release eventually, up. too. Yeah. Uh, I ended up going with this Alice in Wonderland first uh not so much because it was recent, but because it was 
it's Victober as 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 uh, Lady as Gretchen likes to call it. it mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, uh, fans of classic literature yeah. that celebrate yeah Victober and Victorian literature. I started listening to it this morning. I just didn't yeah. uh, get. I didn't get it to the actual reading part. Oh no problem. Um, and then actually, uh, we're also reading a couple of Sherlock Holmes stories. And so uh, at some point I've, I've got a recording of me reading a scandal in Bohemia mm-hmm. and, uh, we've started reading the redheaded league. So those will come out uh, at some point too. Those are two classics. Yeah. Well, I, she, she always wanted to read the novels, but I kept telling her the short stories are better, man. They are. Although under the, the Baskervilles, under the Baskervilles, yeah, maybe. Under the Baskervilles is better than everything else. Uh, the thing is, though, is that like um, studying Scarlet and it's not good, and the sign of the four. I was kind of disappointed with yeah, both of them. They're that. not. They're not good. And I actually, it was. It was. I listened to your podcast version of the Hound of the, Best the Sign of the Four. Actually, oh. back in the day. Okay. I mean, yeah, that, that was day. a weird was situation because moved. it got published as a hard case crime book, right? Hard case crime published uh and as ac doyle <laughs> and didn't say oh, sherlock really? holmes on the front yeah it was a pretty funny situation it's like hmm. we can fill a fill a put a book into our because it's about the kkk right I'm i think sure. you're thinking of a study in scarlet no study in scarlet okay i might be thinking there's four sherlock holmes know. novels i just know i just know a study in scarlet the whole second half of the book follows like oh it's the valley of fear America. is the one i'm thinking of the valley of I have, fear. that's the only one i haven't read yet Okay, of the, yeah. novels, of the novels. Yeah, so it's set in the United States and it hmm. barely has any Sherlock Holmes in it. It's basically which, it's it's like uh the Five Orange Pips, which is about the KKK coming to London or England. Um Valley of Fear is is a weird book because it's it's Sherlock Holmes, but he's barely in it. It's like well, a frame. It's the case with Baskervilles too, but it's some, it kind of yes. works in Baskervilles. Though. Oh, it's amazing in Baskervilles. It's, it's, which there's a little bit of that book in this book that we'd read. Is today. Valley of Fear still, still narrated by Watson? Uh, uh, I think. Because that would make it unusual. If I it think wasn't. it is, but, um, oh, let's see. Here it says Sherlock Holmes receives a cipher message from Fred Porlock, a pseudonymous agent of Moriarty. Holmes tries to le- read the lit. I don't know. Okay. Oh, I don't remember. What I remember is that it. I'm pretty sure this is the right one. Okay. The novel has a number of major themes. No. Okay. I'm not even seeing the KKK listed here. KKK. Yeah. Nope. I. Yeah, I certainly don't remember that connection from the five orange pips. Well, the Five Orange Pips is a KKK a story, uh, because it's a symbol. Of, uh, think of even the oranges, right? It's, it's from the South. <laughs> it's a symbol, like there's five guys left or something like that. It's a, right. there's a whole well, bunch of weird topical stuff of the period, uh, in Sherlock Holmes. Like, mm-hmm. it's a lot of it's tech based, like, um, the bicycles and stuff like that. It's weird. it's weird. Yeah, actually, I still really want to read the annotated Sherlock Holmes at some point. Uh, yeah, is that you're thinking the one by uh, uh, the guy? Who did well, I guess there's more than one. Yeah, the most recent more? one is the one I was thinking, but he's 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 Probably okay. The more recent one I would want to read. He's okay. Right. He's not amazing. Um, his the notes, annotator. Yeah, he did the Lovecraft ones, and he did uh, Dracula one. Okay. 
trying to remember the, the only the only one I have is the annotated Brother Grimm, and it was that would be Brothers good. Grimm. It, it, it is good. It doesn't have every Brothers Grimm story, but it's got most of them. Yeah, that's well. It's because there's so many. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Brothers Grimm. There it is. Fifty dollars anyway. expensive. For which one? Annotated Brothers Grimm. Oh, I bought that one quite a while ago. I think it was about thirty-five dollars when I got it. Twenty. It was like a brand well, new. It was when I was working at Books a Million, and I had a employee discount. Yeah. A, Barnes and Noble. Excuse me. I worked one summer at Barnes and Noble. That's where I got that one from. Good to be a bookstore employee to get your hands on books. Yeah, I haven't worked in a bookstore since two thousand eleven though. But they're, I worked at Books out a Million of business, for like three years. Friends. I used to work across yeah. the street from a bookstore, and uh, I would go in there all the time, like daily, often. Yeah. I miss having like bo- bookstores yeah. to hang out in. You need but... to arrange your life to do the things you want. That's the hard part, right? Yeah. But the problem is you are not able to control other people, like whether they close their business or not. That is more in charge of like how the government's fucking you. <laughs> or how, or how just capitalism is fall out of favor with society, you know? Yeah, in a sense, but like, I mean, one one of the reasons bookstores are going out is just because people aren't supporting them financially as much. Well, one of the reasons they for can't various reasons though is that the the rent is too high, right? Oh well, sure, but you know, I actually need to get. I might need to get don't going before we get yeah, into. Yeah, we that. can be done because <laughs> that's that's a bit of a rabbit hole. No it is a very big rabbit hole. It goes um, down into Alice's I, adventures. I'm not disagreeing with you on that. I mm. just that's just too much to get into. Oh, I, get, right I agree. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Have a great one. Sure, sure. I'm going to post them on on social media today, and um, uh, if I'll Your make sure Halloween? I tag you if I do anything. Well, I'm gonna. I am going to post that once it's done. But I'm going to try to post post those space science fiction pictures uh, later yeah. as well yeah uh yeah just... uh, and post about the podcast in general okay sounds because i don't think i've even tweeted about my house in wonderland episode yet i I, only, have, uh, I tweeted it for you i saw it <laughs> thank you you're welcome i'll put one out too though <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate the support thank you you're very welcome uh, anything i'm interested in i'll happily retweet and uh at some point, um, I'm going to go back in our Twitter conversation to I want to put together a list of possible public domain things for me to read. So yeah, there's um, a lot available and not enough time to do them all. So you have to pick yeah your, pick your targets. Oh, well. all right. Well, I'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, have a good one. Thanks, sir. You too. Bye bye. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.